Unfortunately, I have to begin episode 7 with a technical disclaimer. This episode of Crew Shaken was recorded over the last several weeks in several locations using several different microphones with varying degrees of technical success. So do forgive any lack of fidelity that we may encounter here in episode 7. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 7 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim. Thank you for joining me in the basement today, Lavelle and Carlo. Two guests new to the podcast, but whom I've been gaming with as long as I've been gaming, which is a nice thing to say. Topic for today is the Nova Open 2017. We are headed there to compete in the trio's tournament, which we're going to talk about quite a bit. But first, let's get the show crackalating by talking about hobby progress. Anytime you're getting ready for a tournament, there's always a ton of hobby progress. Lavelle, what have you been working on to prep for Nova Open 2017? Well, let me start by saying I've been a little bit uh, uh, distracted. I've been combination building three armies at the same time, trying to decide which one I'm going to take. <laughs> That's one way to do it. I've been um, working on the Militarium de- de- Tempestus Army. Sweet. I've also been working on my Necrons near and dear to me. I probably got about 16,000 points of Necrons and been refining that. Woo! But I've decided that I'm going with the, uh, the Death Corps of Krieg. And so I'm refining that army, and I just have a couple of models that I need to build. I've added a few assassins in there, and so I need to get those things all together. So you've had that army for a while, but now you're kind of retooling it to fit that 2,000-point, then 1,000-point right. requirement. That's right. I've had the army for a while. It's been very successful. When yeah. they switched to 8th edition, um, I, was, I always liked the army. I liked the models that I have and everything. But when they, I got the Forge World release... And I looked at the orders that they had, right. and I saw you no longer have to roll for orders. Oh, it was awesome. Then it changed the game for you. Oh, absolutely. So what did you find you were lacking in 7th that you're able to bring more of now in 8th? You know, play is different in 8th. And I'm able to mix and match models. A lot of models that were useless. You know, I like the model. I like the fluff behind it. But it wasn't, when you put it on the table, it wasn't effective. It wasn't tactically strong. Right. Mm-hmm. Now I find that the, it's, it's usually one or two things. Either I've misplaced the model or they're not hanging together. There's also something about 8th edition. You don't get so married to the models on the board. And what I mean by that is you expect to lose models. Hmm. And you expect to lose them. And you, you're like, okay, I still have this. I still can keep things going. I was involved in a game where I lost most of my army, but actually won. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Focusing on the objectives. Sure, sure, sure. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so what was the latest thing you had on your painting table? What's the most recent addition of that Krieg army? Uh, assassins. It was Assassins. I have a full unit of, I have all four of the Assassins, but then I decided I got creamed by Goodman, and I need something to take him out, so I had to go buy some Vindicares. Okay, cool. We'll talk about that in this <laughs> segment. That's good, that's good. Carlo, what about you? What are you getting ready for Nova, if that's been your hobby focus? Um, yeah, it definitely has been. Um, you know, before we started our Nova uh, lists and everything and getting our plan together, I had kind of picked up that uh, Eldar army secondhand, and I've put that down completely and started addressing some of the backlog stuff in my in my build uh retinue or whatever you know so um 
uh, what I've got going on right now, I'm working on that night still. So I've gotten most of the basic colors down for him. I just need to kind of do the trim on him. And then tonight before I came over, I actually laid down the crackle paint on the base I'm doing. You know that ice base I did on Ulrich? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to do I'm doing a much larger version of that. So I had to cut out basically everything except the rim of the base and then cover, you know, base it with that plastic sheet, mm-hmm. which was really fun. So I think I broke the base, like snapped it in like three pieces. So I had to glue it back together. You had to reconfigure it and then yeah. fill it with the crackle paint stuff. Mm-hmm. It's cool. like gluing like the handle of a mug back on when it drops out of the <laughs> cupboard. So. so you're bringing a knight to Nova. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Good. Good. Yeah, so ho- Hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to talk a little bit about composition later. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, this, that's why I'm, I'm glad you guys are here talking about this today, because we have not had much of a chance to talk about what we're bringing to trios. We've had a couple of emails around, but we really, this is, we're sharing this with the audience for the first time, and we're also sharing it with one another for the first time, which is a good thing. It'll make the episode a good one. Yeah. Uh, so for me, this is the first time I'm fielding 2,000 points of all iron hands. I've been playing them for a bit, but by mixing in uh, some Admech and Skatarii things. But this is going to be all iron hands all the time. All rusty, augmented dudes running around the board, and it's a lot of tanks. And I'm trying to weather all the tanks. And I got hung up, I got this bee in my bonnet, about illuminating the interiors of all the vehicles. So I painted and put LED lights inside all the tanks. So listeners, if you see me at Nova Open... You feel free to come on, come on over, and flick the little light switch and take a look inside. Oh. Please do because it's totally pointless. <laughs> and I spent like a week. I spent like a week doing it, trying to figure it out. Bought all kinds of stuff from Amazon, like all kinds of diodes and LEDs and little things. I'm good with a soldering iron, so I felt confident diving into it. But I figured it out. I got a lot of LEDs to throw away because they're too big or too small and whatnot. But it wasn't expensive, and it was fun to kind of fool around with, figure out how to do. But my hobby focus has been. Just trying to get all that stuff tabletop ready and based so it's all in keeping with the theme of the display board and everything else, which is a challenge, which is a real challenge. Guys, I got to be honest with you. I'm way, way behind on my display board because I had that display board concept. (laughs) Oh, that's my display board over there. It's a a pile of insulated foam and some wooden arrows for racing more. (laughs) No, I feel good. (laughs) This, uh, I think on Thursday night this week, I'm going to have like an espresso at like 1030 and just do all display board. Yeah. One thing I've been waiting for is to go to Home Depot and get a can of black primer, like just dumb cheap primer, because mm-hmm. I would have felt like a real fool using good airbrush primer and my airbrush trying to like coat like a 20 by 30 wooden board for my display board, okay. you know? So I've been just trying to put it off until I can go get like a $4 can of Krylon and then just wrap the whole thing up and just try to burn it out in like two nights. That's my goal. Let me just make a quick suggestion. Before you go to Home Depot, check out the dollar store. Ooh, for primer. I didn't think of that. Check out the dollar store. Now, if you start priming with a can of dollar store paint, it's good as long as you don't stop. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) If you stop, the the nozzle get clogged, then it'll be a can of useless stuff. You'll never get the paint. So so don't don't take my finger off the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let it dry. Just keep keep priming until it's all done. Keep that's, right. that's, that's good advice. That's good advice. Let me share with you a quick priming story. So I had gotten all these models and I I keep all of my models. I have a huge basement in my basement, and that's important because my wife has no idea the value that's in our basement. She said something about some bill. I said, Man, that's not even my neck crown army. Forget that. <laughs> but I had been down there priming. And Justin, my son, had kept telling me, 
Dad, open the door. Don't be, ah, I don't need to open the door. It's too cold outside. And then I start getting a headache. So I'm getting a headache. He said, because you're an idiot. <laughs> why am I lightheaded all of a sudden? <laughs> right. What's going on here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why I have the uh, this little weird, like, fume hood thing that I rigged back here to take all the bad air out when I'm airbrushing in there. Does it work? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's one of those DIY projects you shouldn't do. You should just go and buy the real little fume hood, like the Pash little little thing. It, it, they do work. The real ones do work. This one kind of works, but you have to be like spraying right into the bathroom fan, like which does really kind of defeat the whole purpose of having a work right. area, you know. So I kind of just put a mask over my face and run and gum with it. I try to airbrush as quickly as possible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was it. Jason was telling me you know, uh, when he airbrushes, like him and I don't use a ventilator because I know for me at least I've been. Like, I've been breathing in melted plastic at the ski <laughs> shop for, like, seven years. Like, damage is done, you know? <laughs> so, he was, like, telling me a story about how, like, every time he airbrushes, he gets, like, black paint in his nose. Oh, yeah. And he has to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I gotta, like, snot it out, you know? <laughs> you, gotta <laughs> that. you gotta clear everything out. Yeah. The things we do for our hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've had that problem, like, normally. I guess that nose hair is so thick up there that it kind of keeps it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like reeds. You got a built-in in a fi- you got a built-in built-in filter. filter. <laughs> <laughs> We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Lavelle, you've been gaming for a long time. Yes, sir. When you're getting ready for a, like a convention like this one, where there's a lot of games, a lot of stuff, you play a lot of games too. A lot of games. So what's, what's your overall experience game plan going into a multi-day event like this? So a couple of things. I don't normally go to large events and play 40K. Really what's making me get involved in this, well, first of all, Joe and them, they put together an awesome event. But it's you guys. Mm -hmm. And so more than anything else, it's the people I'm gaming with. And if I'm gaming with a good crew, I don't really care about winning and losing. But one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm adamant about is I don't build lists based on the power and everything you can do. I like the theme. So everything, it starts with a commander, and I kind of vision out a whole story around that, and then I build down from there. And that's what I, I actually did. I actually started my Imperial list, because I was always a Necron player, when Jason when Jason switched to um, Chaos. Uh. And I said, this can't go unchallenged. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what made me start doing it. And I started with, I, I had a, a, my son and I have a huge... Um, Imperial Guard Army, but it was really, I liked the Scions, yeah. Tempestus, and so I went in that direction and I spent, I don't want to list a number, all collecting all of these models and I built out the Tempestus unit and that was all well and good. I had already had the Creed because I saw a model that I like mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was just one model. I said, that's a really cool World War II looking model. And then I went on a hunt and built that whole thing out from there. And that's how, and then the tanks, which aren't traditional GW tanks. I really like them, and I was able to put something together. So in Krieg, I probably have a total of 4,000 points all in the list. And I didn't build it because I was going to a competition, but because I like the army, I like yeah. the story, and I, I built the theme around that. So preparing for the Nova, the first thing I did, which probably wasn't smart for what we have to do, <laughs> was went back to the story and said, what, what is it, which one did I want to bring? And I built it around this custom... Um, inquisitor that i have and so it's either going to be the inquisitor the inquisitor with the scions or the inquisitor with the creed and that's what it is i'm glad you brought that up because i was thinking a lot about my list in the last couple of days before we were going to sit down and record 
And even looking back at what happened last year at Nova, where I brought like what I thought was this really good war convocation list, the seventh ed war convocation. But it wasn't very fun to play because there was so much stuff to keep track of with that army. There was a lot of details, a lot of minutia to get in the way. Especially last year was my first time playing 40k for like 14 hours straight, which is really challenging. It is really demanding, right? So this year I built this 2000 point list based on what's going to be the most fun to play after being on my feet for six hours. And so I can still enjoy it. Not a lot of little details to keep in mind. A few units, you know, my list doesn't have a ton of units in it. It's They're very straight ahead. There's a lot of things that do similar things. There's a lot of las cannons in it. So I know off the top of my head exactly what they do and how they react, in, you know, in the game and whatnot. So I tried to make a list of things that I would enjoy playing after I stop enjoy playing. Do you know what I mean? For the day, like when my mind is kind of shutting oh, down, yeah. I can still kind of say, all right, I'm going to have a coffee and I'm back on it because this list is cool. I got it under control. I don't got to worry about a million little details. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the last year, the problem with that is I think we did what we woke up at five thirty. We drove down, got there at 10, immediately started playing. And then when we finished at about eight thirty, I think it was, they were like, all right, night fight time. And yeah. you had signed up for that, right? Straight yeah, into it. Accidentally signed yeah. up for that game, and it was another accidentally. <laughs> I, I didn't understand the schedule. That's the one thing I could think they could improve about the Nova Open is how the schedule looks. Carlo put together a great spreadsheet of the, of a, a much better spreadsheet of the schedule. The real Nova schedule is like I found it very difficult to understand. So I didn't realize that Night Fight started immediately after the Trios tournament. So that was another eighteen fifty pointed game after playing four or five games over the course of the day of the Trios competition. So I was cooked. Yeah, that's interesting. Let me. Ask, what forty k events are you in in Nova? I'm doing two of the night fights and the trios. What about you? Same. So I'm doing trios, uh, night two night fights, and then three of the recon games that Joe's putting together. Oh, nice. So yeah. So I'm only doing the trios. Nice. I'm yeah. only doing the trios. Yeah. I'm in a couple other miniature games, but I wanted one of the things I like going to cons, and I found that when I had myself running raggedy. It takes the enjoyment out. Yeah. When you just pat, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to do at Gen Con this week, but I think that's the big thing right there. I, I want to come back to your, your point about the list. You can put together a list that is like dynamic, hard hitting, but if it's not fun to play after your first, second game, yeah, you're not going to like that. Right, right. And it, sh- it should be enjoyable from the first game to the last. That's right. why we travel so far and spend so much, you know, psychic and financial resources and pulling these things mm-hmm. off, you know. Not, you know, including like the weeks of prep to to go do this damn right. thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you better have a damn good time while you're doing it, or else you really have spent a lot of time in vain. You know. I agree. Well, Carlos, you're bringing space bulls. Yeah. I guess I I thought I knew you said iron hands, but until you said it right here, I didn't really register the big switch. Yeah. 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 All iron hands all the time this time, which will be fun. So we have a, a, a completely imperial force rolling out, which is nice. Completely yeah. imperial yeah. force. Let's talk a little bit about the list. Let's start with talking about the 2,000-point lists. Lavelle, you have yours up on your tablet there. Walk us through what you're bringing. So a couple of things. I built the list. I built a 1,500-point list because I figure I can cycle up to 500, add 500 and down. And I started tweaking that list, and it didn't go well. Oh. That's, the, that's the best thing I can tell you. <laughs> but I enjoyed that. That was a smart way to start, though, to, to have that medium point and then scale up and scale down. That's, that's nice. right. That's nice. And one of the things we have to talk about is when we couple in, in the team, which right. what, what my 1,000, because Carlos also pointed out, you can't switch 1,000-point lists. Right. Yes. So we right. have to talk about that. Right. So I started with thinking about 
just basically what is this Krieg force going to look like and who's going to lead it. And I started with the Field Marshal uh, Werner, who has a lot of abilities. His main thing is he can give three orders. Oh, wow. He can give three orders. And so it took me a while to get my head around that. And so then I, I built around that three infantry units. Okay. And the, I, I have in my list right now, which I may be ch- changing, I have their normal infantry. But I think I might go to the Grenadier Squad because they have a higher save. Okay. So um, the thing about them is they take no morale tests for losing in uh, the shooting phase. Oh, wow. That's really good. Huh. Right. Yeah. And plus, and on top of that, they can pull back and still shoot. Oh, that's they have great. an order for that. That's great. Right. So I, I built it around that. And then I, I also wanted some tanks in there. Yep. So I added a tank commander. Okay. I added a tank commander. And I like the tanks, but the, mod- the model that I really like is the Colossus Bombard. Mm, yeah. Because I like to pin the enemy units on the other end of the table right and just away. yeah and it yep. has a great thing and for armor penetration and everything so i like that okay my the, let me ahead. interrupt for one second the, the tank commander gives you re-rolls within six or 12 inches or something the tank else? commander has a couple of orders and one of the oh. orders that i like is strike and shroud what's that one it allows them to shoot and then pop smoke uh, making minus one to hit that's good right and so wow. that's the real order that i use a lot he doesn't on his first turn and then the tank commander moves forward because he's got the big gun. And the, the, big, the other ones can kind of keep pounding from afar. And he's not an HQ choice, correct? He is an HQ he choice. He is, oh, cool. Okay. He is an right. HQ. Good. So I have the tank okay. orders, and then I have the, the, the marshal's order. Gotcha, gotcha. I added a heavy weapon squad because I needed the heavier weapons, and I experimented with heavy bolters. Now I'm up to auto cannons because okay. I need something to pin some armor okay. from the other end of the table. And I added two more because I've learned my lesson. Armor is a problem. Two more of the Annihilators, which give me the twin LAS guns. What are the Annihilators? Um, they are lemon rust chassis. They have twin LAS guns on the turret, and then they have three heavy bolters. Wow. Right. So I can put the heavy bolters down on an um, a infantry unit, yep. and the LAS guns can try to penetrate and, and take off some armor. And you have two of those? I have two of those. For a total of six heavy, bo- six heavy bolter. Six I apologize. I have three of those. Wow. That's Whoa. Three of those and one and two Colossus Bombards. How many points are those... Uh, is that three tanky? 561. Oh, that's great. 561. Wow. So if I need to tweak, you know, I, I like thinking about things in solid blocks of points, and then I can move things around as I need to. And, and what's, the, uh, what's the stat line on those tanks? Um, they have 12 wounds. They have a, a armor of seven. I'm sorry, a toughness of seven, and they're moving 12 inches. Oh, that's great. Yeah, cool. So it's pretty good, and, and they, they last a long time because, you know, sooner or later, they're going to concentrate fire. Right, right. Now, I had this really, I don't want to call it a bad, it was an educational experience playing Ultramarines. <laughs> and he had a nice little fire base down there with Gleeman, and he was getting the plus to re- the re-rolls on wounds. Oh, it was just crushing yeah, me. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's horrible to look at. <laughs> and I figured I needed to do something to get rid of him. So my first thing was I added in an Aversa Assassin and wanted to see how that went. Naturally, he got shot off the table. But... In the turn he's getting shot off the table, nobody's shooting at him. Now, we're going to talk about charges out of line of sight because at the time I didn't know that. Right. Um, the other thing that I did was, so I, in, in, in a, in a uh, Vanguard detachment, I have two Aversers and three Vindicators. So I can pick off those pesky um, individual characters that are adding the buffs to the enemy army. That's great. And so that's kind of what I'm experimenting right there. And then I added one... Because um, the uh, Vanguard unit needed a, um, a HQ, 
I just added and did my favorite Inquisitor, my custom Inquisitor. In. So how many assassins total? Five. Walk us through the assassins. Whoa. <laughs> I have two Aversers and three yeah. Vindicators. So let's talk about the Vindicator yeah. first, why the Vindicator is important. The Vindicator is going to allow me to... I played a game against Tao and had a learning lesson just, this, just yesterday. The Vindicator is going to allow me to shoot, ignoring cover, any... Infantry character, any character, without worrying about the closest model. Oh, that's the key right there. Right. It'll hit on the 2+, plus. it'll wound on the 2+, plus, doing D3 damage each shot. It's only got a heavy 1. But if I'm placing him in cover, because normally any shots to hit him are minus 1. When he's in cover, it's minus 2. Wow. Now, is, is he a character as well? So can he not be shot if he's not the closest? You know, I that's a really, really good question. I never looked at that. If he was a character, I don't think he's a character. Is he like an elite choice? He's an elite choice. Okay, yeah, then he's not a character. Yeah, he's so. an elite choice. He's not a character. So he's, he's his weapon skill and ballistic skills are 2+. plus. He has a pistol, but, you know, if he's using this pistol, it's probably pretty much over. <laughs> but it's this Exodus rifle with a range of 72 inches, heavy 1, strength 5, Minus three to the AP D3 damage. And he's always going to wound on a two plus against the infantry model. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I put three of those into Gilliman. He's going to have a problem. Oh, yeah. So you can oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Sure. There's one other thing. Um, invulnerable saves can't be taken against a shot. Wow. That's solid. Yeah. Do they, do they still have the thing where you have to pick the ammo? No, they only have one type of ammo, and okay. that's the, um, the invulnerable one. Gotcha. So the one that you don't get an invulnerable save against. Right. So it's, it's pretty good. Um, if the model can target a character, even if it's not the closest unit, in addition, each time you roll a wound of six plus, which is kind of hard, but if you do it, the damage for the attack is D6 instead of D3. Wow. So I'm, I'm just banking on them picking off the heavy, the characters that matter the most that they need to buff their army and then let the rest of my army do it. And you have three of those. I have three of those. So what do you think in terms of deployment? What do you, how do you arrange those on the battlefield? So it depends. I got it worked out. Right. Been there. Hit me. So if they, if I am deploying last, I can concentrate their deployment because I'll see their characters. Right. If I'm not deploying last, I'm going to spread them out so I have a line of sight from different angles. But no matter what, I'm always going to deploy them in cover. Learned that lesson. Right, right. I'm going to deploy them in cover where they have a good shot. And what about the other two assassins? The Aversa assassins. Yeah. The Aversa assassins, they, um, the, it's, it's clearly my favorite model. Um, I got all of my assassins from that box set, which is a great game. The Execution Force. Right. Yeah. And I got all my assassins there. So, again, 2-2 two, two for wounds, um, um, for ballistic skill and weapon skill. He has a power sword, and he has a neural gauntlet that allows him to reroll Fell's wounds. But what I like about him more than anything else is a couple of things. One, he's charging on 3d6. Oh, that's great. But listen, someone told me, even though he's charging on 3d6, he still can't declare a charge against a model that's more than 12 inches away. Right. right. Really? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's what's in the charge rule. Yes, and in the main rule book. So it... it it's a benefit because you're basically a 3d6 take the two highest, huh. uh, which is still really good. Um, and then you can, at that point, use a command point if you're no, unable act- to reach. Actually, right? actually, the rules just say 3d6. Right. So he can charge 18 inches. But you can't. Right, but you can't charge, go more than 12. But right. you can't charge mm-hmm. Adam. Yeah, okay. Okay. 
But That's theoretically, uh, that okay. could give you the, the 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 distance you need to get around other models. Right, right. Right, as long as your character isn't traveling more than 12 inches in that from start to finish. Why? I think it, we'd have to take a look at the rule book to see how it's worded. Because um, that would be a really important thing in this, like certain situations. Let me get the rule book. You know, the other thing that I like about him... Um, he re-rolls all his fell hits on the Overwatch. So on the Overwatch, I think there's a rule also that says he can use his full ballistic skill. I have to check that. The other thing that I like about him is, um, in addition to that, you know, when he goes, he blows up. That's awesome. <laughs> so he rushes in there and, you know, you can kill him if you want. <laughs> I envision him as a way to tie up another unit. He has six wounds. So he's and uh, he has all of them. All the assassins have the four plus invulnerable save. So does he have like a little bomb in his tooth that he's like, all right, <laughs> like you know? <laughs> I think his whole body is wired with a bomb, uh. and it's called bio meltdown. And when he explodes on a four plus, enemy units um, suffer D three mortal wounds within one inch of him. So if you get him in close combat, what do you got for us, Tim? Yeah. So it is um, choose the unit to charge with. I'm looking at page 182 of the main rule book in the charge phase. Choose units to charge with. Any of your units within 12 inches of the enemy in your charge phase can make a charge move. Then step two is choose targets. Again, 12 inches of them as the target. But I think that your point is a good one, that if you need more than 12 inches to get around one unit, to get to the unit that's 12 inches away, then you're in business. Yeah. The that, way that's that's where that, that'll definitely work like that's that. That's where those extra inches come into play. I agree. So it's 12 inches as the crow flies, but it may take you... 15 inches to get from point A around another unit to get to point B, maybe. Yeah, but you know what? When you're rolling 2d6, anything above a 7 is a little bit of a gamble. Right, right. When you're rolling 3d6, that number becomes 9, 11, somewhere around there Mm -hmm. where anything that and below is a gamble. Right. And that's a game changer for engaging the enemy. Right, because it's not like you have to charge the closest unit to the unit that you're charging with. That's correct. closest unit, right? Which brings us to the thing that I put in the notes about you can charge units that you cannot see. Right. Which is really important. So I, I, once I found that out, I didn't like it, but I started using it. And it makes a difference except against Tau. How do you mean? Well, remember, Tau have, um, I can't remember the rule, for the greater good? Yeah, for the greater good. Where any model can shoot Overwatch. Right. Not just the model you're charging. Right. Right, but right. once per phase. So Right. So you just gotta make sure that you when when you declare that charge, you are truly out of line of sight. Of everything that the Tau has. That's correct. <laughs> right. If you want to depend on not getting shot in Overwatch. Right. It's really punishing. Sure. I, mean, I played Carl this morning against his Tau and uh what I charged like s- Oh, it must have been is my wolf priest in the, one of his characters. I thought I had him. I was like, oh, I got him around the backside. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this guy. I'm gonna get the two secondary, you know, points for it. And then I charge in, and it's like 87 shots from drones <laughs> coming at me. I'm like, <laughs> right, that's a lot of, a lot of you know, 87 shots. You know, you figure he's gonna hit at least 30 of yeah, them, right. and you're gonna have to save. Yeah, that's gonna be hard. Yeah, that's the true. other that's true. thing that I added because I had the Vanguard unit. I had an HQ. I was able to drop back my. Um, my Inquisitor in there, and my Inquisitor, I really, really like Smite a lot. Yeah. And it gave me access to Smite as well as the ability to deny a power. Right. And so that, that's how I kind of fleshed out my army. And 
you know, it wasn't like that. It was just just big blob of all Krieg. And then I realized I needed a couple more things in my toolbox because they're marching across the board. They're getting shot up. Even though they're not taking that morale test, it's punishing. Um, Carlo, let's talk about your 2,000-point list, and then we'll circle back and kind of talk about tactics after we, after we kind of do like, like an overall list overview kind of a thing. Right. But can, let me say one other thing because, you know, I talk about the Krieg. Yeah. The Krieg's guy has this ability. He has a momentum warrior. And no matter what, if a, da- if a weapon does more than one damage, D3, D6, the roll is always considered one. I've had a couple of guys get in close combat. Look at him. He's looking at me. Wow. That sounds like something you made up. I do make up rules <laughs> occasionally. This isn't one of them. In close combat, and you know, um, a battle suit charged him in close combat. And he has a power sword. But it didn't do what the guy thought he was going to do because he thought, I'm going to do 2D6. Boom. And I said, okay, that's two damage. What? Right, because no matter what, the role is always considered one. Wow. And I keep a, um, a quartermaster next to him. It's a beautiful model. What does the quartermaster do? The quartermaster allows him to re-roll. It, allows, it gives him a feel no pain of six up. So I like that, that Orlord trait that's going to give him a feel no pain of six up. And if it, that, he'll get the feel no pain, then they get the other one. Two, to try two, to, two six up feel no pains. In yeah. addition mm-hmm. to that, the quartermaster can re-give a wound back. Right. Right. The quartermaster can, like, you know, uh, an apothecary, I guess. Mm-hmm. They can give a wound back to him and keep him in a fight. That's really awesome. How many wounds does he have total? Five. Five. That's pretty That's pretty powerful. That's tight. Wow. I'm sorry, four. 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 And, and that, then he has an invuln save. What is it? Uh, four plus. Four plus. That's good. So so he has the four up, but then two six up. Five up. No I'm sorry. Five up invuln, two six up, feel no pains. Plus one extra. But we'll talk about that in a second. Carlo. Okay. Space Wolves, cool. 2,000 points. What do you got? Um, so this year I'm playing a little bit differently. Um, you know, one of the things I like about the changes to eighth are the fact that like Lavelle was talking about, you can bring a little bit more variety and not feel so like underpowered like you did in seventh, like in seventh for space wolves was all about the death star and all we brought were Thunderwolf cavalry and rune priests. And, you know, it, it seemed it, it got really boring really fast. And, you know, this edition has been really fun. I've been able to play a lot more stuff that like when I, started buying models when I was getting into the game I bought because they were cool and now they're they're cool and they're useful and it feels great to feel them so um, one of the newer things I had gotten and you know about this is the night we were talking about earlier so that's the first thing on my list so I'm running a, a super heavy I guess it's like an auxiliary detachment so just the one super heavy Lord of War and then I'm running a battalion detachment for the three troops right for the three command points so um, I'm playing a Knight Paladin, so he'll have the uh, the cannon, the rapid fire battle cannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's two uh, d six, seventy two inch range. Yep. Uh, strength eight minus two AP, D three damage. That's great. So I've been yeah. having a lot of luck with that gun lately. Mm-hmm. Um, He's taking one of those or two of those. One of the he can take of one of those cannons. Okay. So uh, his carapace weapon is going to be the Ironstorm missile pod. Cool. It's uh, D6 shots, strength 5, AP minus 1, 2 damage, and it can shoot at 72 inches, anything, even if it's out of line of sight. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. I mean, he can't shoot at characters, mm-hmm. like, but, you know. But he doesn't have to see him. Right. Yeah, cool. Um, and then his he's got two heavy stubbers, so he's got the option for the heavy stubber, and then one comes with the battle cannon. Yep. So that's six shots at 36-inch range, which, you know, I haven't really seen too much 
usefulness from them, but it's nice to just pick off some troops every mm-hmm. once in a while. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, his melee weapon, instead of taking the chainsword, I'm taking the Thunderstrike Gauntlet. So okay. just for fun, just yep. throwing vehicles around. And it does a solid six damage flat. So it's a strength times two, so he's hitting at strength 16, AP minus four. And it's six flat. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. It is a really good looking part of the model, too. I, I never saw that often in the past, but I hope to see it more now because it does look really awesome on, oh, the, on the model. Oh, it's fun, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And you're taking the, uh, what's the stomp attack that he has now? Oh, so he's got um, Titanic Feet. Titanic Feet, that's right, it, right. yeah. Cool. So instead of, um, so he's got four base attacks, and basically you roll three for each attack. So you're rolling 12 attacks. Gotcha. Um, for however many you want to do. So you right. could split them up. You could do, usually I do like, if I've got some infantry in there and I've got something big I want to kill, I'll split mm-hmm. it up, do two with the gauntlet, and then six with the feet. Gotcha. Because on okay. the gauntlet, you're hitting at on fours because it's a minus one. Are you paying for the feet? No. They're, they're included? Mm-hmm. That's cool. So Keep going, yeah. So um, for my HQs, forced to take two for that battalion detachment, yeah. so my first one's going to be Null. Um, he's been really fun to play lately because, you know, he's the only drop on my list. So he's in Terminator armor. And I kind of play him like he's this, like, John McClane-type character where I'm <laughs> dropping him in. Like, sometimes I hold him in the third turn, and uh, I'll, like, drop him in, and I'll, like, crawl through the air ducts and, like, snipe people with Smite and Jaws of the World Wolf and stuff like that. So uh, the Space Wolf psychic powers are really fun. Uh, so you're, like Lavelle was saying, the Smite is on point. You know, you know, I don't think it's too overpowered, and it's really fun to use. Yeah. And, like, the whole Deny the Witch change that they made where it's like you're just basically doing a roll off is really fun because yeah. before it was like okay I have to roll how many sixes to cancel this uh, right. no chance right. <laughs> it was just extra bookkeeping that didn't need to happen yeah exactly yeah. so now it kind of feels like there's more competition there it's more fun yeah. and, uh, so for him he's he's sneaking around he's sniping people in the backfield you know uh, when the my opponent tends to like open up his line a little bit pull some stuff out or maybe I'm kind of creating a wedge there and he's folding into it then I can get behind him so, That's great, yeah. Um, after him, I'm plan- taking a wolf priest on a bike uh, because I'm running two squads of Thunderwolf cavalry. Hmm. So they'll be the leader has a thunder hammer and a bolt pistol uh, on each squad. They're both the same, and then two guys with frost axe, storm shield. So the, they're like taking the wounds for him, kind of, and then the wolf priest is going to stay near them and try to heal any wounds that are hitting them. And it's been I've tested it like a few games, and it seems to work pretty well. Um, I have like I'll lose you know like Lavelle said you'll see stuff disappear off the board really quickly but it doesn't hurt that bad because you've you know everything is pretty evenly balanced right so, so you're going to run the biker alongside of the Thunderwolf cavalry yes cool So and That's he cool. can go a little bit faster than them yeah. so I usually I'll like bounce him back like a ping pong ball if I need to split them up yep so cool is that biker a psyker no he is uh, pretty much like a chaplain okay I okay. think yeah mm-hmm. so he's got a he can heal D3 wounds at the end of the movement phase. Um, he can re-roll all fail-to-hit rolls for any uh, Space Wolf units within six inches. That's great. Yeah, so, That's great. <laughs> so for for troops, I'm bringing uh, two squads of Grey Hunters, um, six-man squads with a Melt-A-Gun and a Power Axe in each squad. Okay. And they're going in uh, twin autocannon Razorbacks. Hmm. And then... My third troop choice are the Blood Claws. I'm taking seven of them and a Rhino. So they're just like an objective grabber that can get up real quick. And, you know, they do a lot of attacks on the charge. So 
and they're kind of forced to charge the closest thing. So I like to keep them in that rhino until I get them in a, a position that I want and I can drop them off. So you're going to get them somewhere useful and then let them charge whatever's thereafter. Right. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then lastly, I have a squad of uh, long fangs. So that's the other thing I really liked about the change in this edition was that space wolves were, you know, they're known to be an assault army, but they're also space marines still. So it's nice to have that shooting capability. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like long fangs really brought it last edition where this year they have a change that allows them to reroll. They like nominate a unit. It's different from other devastators where they nominate a unit. They reroll all ones okay. when shooting at that unit. Okay. So. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So you nominate that unit at the beginning of play? Beginning, beginning of the shooting phase. Shooting phase. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Great. And that's 2,000 points. Yep. So it's not a lot on the table, but all the stuff's like fairly durable as long as I'm smart and I keep it in cover, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't always happen. Right, totally, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, so sometimes I'll like, like one thing, like one of the guys I was playing with recommended recently was like put the long fangs in the Razorback. Yeah, and run them around the table so they don't get deep struck on basically from behind first turn and that seems to be working really well so. let me walk you through what I have and then I made some notes I want to circle back to talk about command points Okay. how many you're going to use and what you like to use them on and I also want to talk uh, chapter tactics too but we'll come back to that in a okay. second yeah. so I'm taking two detachments patrol and the spearhead detachment my patrol detachment is the captain in terminator armor so he's got that plus one Wounds and then a six up feel no pain as his uh, warlord trait. He's taking the burning blade as his weapon, which is a minus, which is a strength plus two, AP minus five, one damage. So that's cool. He's going he's gonna to do some damage with that. Not much, but he's going to do it. Then I have three five man tactical squads, each with a uh, rocket launcher. Okay. And a thunderfire cannon. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Thunderfire Cannon, I think, is good. So the Thunderfire Cannon is almost an auto-add now. I like that. <laughs> for, for, for the points and for the fact that you're getting the Tech Marine Gunner with it, I think it is really smart to take it. Okay. Um, so for the Spearhead Detachment, I'm taking a Tech Marine. He's got a Power Axe, the uh, Servo Arm, and uh, a, bolt, a Plasma Pistol. Taking one Dreadnought, Assault Cannon, um, and a Storm Bolter. I've never ever played them before, but I'm taking the Centurion Devastator Squad with the Grav Cannons, right, with the, uh, and the Grav Amps. A Land Raider, totally stock Land Raider with all the Bolters and the Laz Cannons. Predator with the, with two Laz Cannons and the Storm Bolter. And the Vindicator. And the Storm Raven Gunship. Okay. Which is all stock. There we go. Love the Storm Raven. Been having really, I've been having a lot of fun with the Storm Raven. Um, but that's totally stock. It's got the Assault Cannons, Heavy Bolters, the... Hurricane Bolters, and the Stormstrike Missile Launchers for 274 points there. So the, the chapter tactic that I'm using is the one that gives everybody the six-up feel-no-pain. And what, when I'm, what I mean by everybody is, in this case, just the Dreadnought and the Infantry, because it's important to remember the chapter tactic only affect troops, bikes, and uh, infantry bikes and uh, Dreadnoughts, not, yeah. the, not the vehicles, which is I a bummer. I didn't know it could affect the Dreadnoughts. Which is a bummer. Yeah, so I'm well, not. I'm not. So I'm not getting the, the six up feel no pain on my vehicles, which is a bummer because I have oh, a lot of vehicles. Yeah, that's a change. Yeah, but what's cool is on my, on my captain, which I'm going to save until two, turn two or three. I get like you're getting the double feel no pain, which is really great. You know, in our list, we we've, we've listed one flyer. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing against flyers. 
the, I think flyers have been really exceptionally effective in eighth, right? Because there's no, um, what was the Skyfire. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's harder to hit them, but it's not as hard to hit them as it once was. Yeah, before you were snap firing on them. Right. Yeah. So you're, you were really at a loss for, for what to do with them. And the Storm Raven being a transport, I can put a bunch of troops in there, go into hover, drop them off somewhere. The Land Raider is still a transport, so I can do that with them too. I can take the Centurion Devastator Squad up close well, to the Land it. Raider. You have a Long Fang Pack. I do. Mm-hmm. So the Long Fang Pack can kind of deal with flyers. Oh, yeah, they'll take them out. Like the thing that's great about the Long Fangs is that I can switch. I have three missile launchers and two LAS cannons in that squad. Yeah, that's great. So. The utility on missile launchers this edition is really solid with mm-hmm. D6 hits on the frag, mm-hmm. or D6 shots. Mm-hmm. So, um, but going and aiming at like a high armored vehicle, you can take it out in one turn almost. If you hit everything and you wound everything and they don't get the saves, you can take it out in a turn. But if all of your troop units have a missile launcher, didn't yep. you say? Yep. Yep, so I have three missile launchers. The rest of them are just mm-hmm. vanilla marines. Yeah, yeah, so you got something to do with it. I have to think about that for my army. See, the, the shortcomings I see of this list, and it's okay because, again, I wanted a simple, fun list to play, right? So they don't have a lot of models in that list. There's not a lot of troops to, to manage. There's not a lot of boots on the ground. So the saving, the saving grace is the, uh, the, in the new Space Marines Codex, they get objective secured. Whereas before the Codex came out, I was really worried about, do I have, is 15 Space Marines enough to, to get to take objectives with when you could be up against... You know, some horde armies that are going to make it really difficult if you're just going by the number of models around the objective to take it. Is it the Space Marine Codex that gives them objective security, or is it the new chapter book that's coming out? No, it's 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 in the Codex. Yeah, it's, in the codex. it's in the Codex. Yeah, in okay, the codex. that's awesome. Yeah, I'll read it. I was confused about that, and I was wondering because I haven't gotten the Codex. The the Codex it, it bothers me a little bit. Oh, it does it does because I basically paid fifty bucks for this little Excel spread document that I made out of the back. Because you, really you really don't need all this stuff, right? I don't know. I guess, I guess if... Kind of like the rule book a yeah, little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I'm, I'm, I have mixed emotions about the Codex. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the rule is called Defenders of Humanity. If your army is battle-forged, all troops units in the Space Marine detachments gain this ability. Such a unit that is within range of an objective, as specified in the mission, controls the objective marker, even if there are more enemy models within range of that objective marker. And if an enemy unit within the range of the same objective marker has a similar ability, the objective marker is controlled by the player who has the most models within okay. as normal. Awesome. What, the most models with that ability. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, yep. and just because it's right after here, well, let's go back to chapter tactics. If your army is battle-forged, all infantry, biker, and dreadnought units in a space marine detachment gain a chapter tactic. So it has to be infantry, biker, or dreadnoughts. Yeah. Now that's only... Space Marine Codex armies that get that, right? So no Dark Angels, no Space Wolves, no Blood Angels right now. I think, That right? is correct. Yeah, I think it, right. it, in, in the book, it says that yeah, right. they'll get their own. Yeah. Has anybody looked at the Chaos book? I have not. I purchased the Chaos book because, you know, we're going to be looking at uh-huh. a lot of Chaos. Yeah. I'm not a Chaos player. I purchased <laughs> the Chaos book because I never did that in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm liking when I'm I, I'm liking the edition more than any other edition that I've played, and I've been in the game for since third edition, and I, I you know I enjoy reading it, and I enjoy the rule changes and everything. But I, I, we have a lot of chaos players in our yeah. in our meta, yeah. And so I thought it would be a, a mistake. I think it's a good idea not to know your enemy. <laughs> but one, so I mean that'll be interesting, and they have different tactics. And one of the things about them is if you have a spearhead unit. And that unit is 
um, Iron Hand, yeah. they can take one set of tactics. If you have a, your patrol unit is a different faction, they can take another set of tactics. Really? Yes. I oh, did not. Cool. I, I've been studying that and watching a lot on YouTube, huh. and I saw that. And it gives them more flex. It gives the Space Marines more flexibility. So you could have a um, a patrol of Space Wolves, and they would get that chapter tactic. And then you could have another uh, patrol of Iron Hands, and they would get their chapter tactic. Is that really only cool. for patrols, or does that no, count no. for battalions? Any battalions, any two spirit. detachments. Yeah. Oh, huh. yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Let's talk about one of the things that you pointed out: command points. Because at first I thought, yeah, command points, yeah, you know. But at most games, I'm not ending with any command points, which I really like. Yeah, I'm totally. using it. And I'm thinking, do I want to use it now? Blah blah blah. Right. I've been finding it a very enjoyable thing to kind of strategize with alongside the game, like when to use them, what to do with them, that kind of thing. And I'm really glad there are some useful ones that came in the codex. I was really, I was afraid when this codex came out that this was just going to just amp up the level of complexity to the game again and bring us right back to where it was at the end of 7th, where it felt like there were way too many rules, way too many things for, for my simple brain to keep track of. But it's simple enough where a lot of them are very specific to specific Space Marine chapters, mm-hmm. which is really good. So a lot of them are just taken right off the board, which is why I'm kind of salty about paying 50 bucks for the book, because there are actually like three things in here that's unique to the Iron Hands <laughs> that are useful, you know? Um, so I've been enjoying the, uh, but the, the strategy. there's still stratagems that you don't have to be, yep. that yep, are yep, generic. Yep, there are a couple right. generic ones. There are a couple generic mm-hmm. ones, which are good, yeah. Um, so how many command points are we taking, is a good question. How many do you have in your... In seven. Your you have seven. How do, how do you come up with seven? I cheat. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a the three to start with. Yep. Three for battalion, yep, and one for the vanguard. Excellent, Carlo. Uh, six, so just the three you start with. Three for battalion. I'm going to wind up with seven. Three base plus the patrol plus the spearhead gives you just one. I, I want to encourage everybody because I did learn this when I play my necrons. You know, um, the morale check when you got a blob of twenty warriors can be very impactful, and so you know I have to make sure that I retain those two command points so that I can automatically pass that morale test. Oh, so you're just putting two aside. Two aside, that's right. In a clutch. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, when they make their reanimation protocols, they're back in your face again. And that, that I played a couple of games where I wasn't monitoring that. I also played a game um, last week against um, an opponent. Um, it was Mike. And Mike really knows his Ultramanes, but he really, really knew his command point use. Mm-hmm. And he really, really, I mean, he had me all over on that. He did have a lot more. But he really worked it. I know my orders. And the orders for my Krieg army are like an extra command point. Yeah, they're like they give command you, points. Right. right. And I'm so, sure. I, you know, make sure you do two things. You know your use and of all the command point uses that you could have, which ones would really be helpful to you. Right. And it's just tracking both you and your opponent's command points. Because they can, be, they can shift the game either way. You using them correctly or making sure that, you know... You're forcing him to use a reroll, so you're limiting his number of command points. Let me walk you through the ones that are available to me with the Iron Hands. Relics of the chapter, you can spend command points to get additional relics, which is cool. Uh, for one command point, you can get one extra chapter, one extra relic, rather. For three command points, you can get an additional two relics. For three command points right at the top of the game, your captain becomes a chapter master which is re-rolling all hits within six inches of the chapter master. So it kind of upgrades your captain to a chapter master. That's a really good one, actually. Is that just for the turn or for the whole No, game? that's, that's the constant. Game. That's the whole game. The game. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. Any models within three inches. 
Six. Six inches. Yeah. They're going to re-roll. So, so I, I actually didn't, I didn't consider using that one, but that's actually a really, really good one. And that includes flyers. Everybody. That'll save you some points and uh, yeah. give you some utility. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Um, there's the orbital bombardment, which is fun. Uh, if your warlord does not move, instead of shooting, roll a d6 for every unit within d6 inches of a visible point on the battlefield. And on a four up, the unit suffers d3 mortal wounds, <laughs> which is good. That's three, uh, three command points. Let me just say something yeah. about that. I saw um, a player use that against um, orcs. Hmm. What, what really mattered is the orcs, you know, they're big dreadnought type things. Yeah. He caught all three of them. Wow. And he was able to successfully do three uh, D3 mortal wounds on each one, which significantly weakened them coming across the table. Whoa. That's a great idea to use that right when you right. see that horde charging in your face. You know, Especially with them, like, so many things depend on how many orcs are in the mob for their army. You know, yeah. like, they get plus one attack. Um, like a ton of buffs. Leadership yeah. and stuff uh-huh. like that. So. That's a one-time use? That's true. The, the, the orbital bombardment? Is yes. One Once per battle. That's, that's, uh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Another one, I won't read all of them, but Tremor Shells, this is a good one. Thunder fire cannon, you suffer a minus one to wound penalty, but if the target is hit, you have their movement, advance, and charge rolls for the next turn. That, so can, I, that can cripple a horde. That's great, because if there's orcs charging up in the middle of the table or something, I can have their move distance and all possible movement for the next phase, for the next uh, movement phase. That's incredible. That's a good one, because I've had a lot of trouble with orcs. Orcs are a big problem, yeah. Something else just occurred to me as I was looking at this list. Your HQ would not get the plus one wounds because you're, it's not called Iron Resolve, the one that you're taking. So you would just get the six up, feel no pain. Right, the, the, one, the one out of the main rule book. Right. Yeah, it's right. different. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. yep, sorry. My bad. My bad. Um, another good one that I like is the uh, Armor of Contempt. <laughs> that's a, a five up, um, ignores mortal wound on vehicles. That, that sounds like what my one. daughter wears. Right. And one more fun one. Uh, uh, only in death does duty end. Uh, a slain character can shoot or fight before re- being removed from play. That's a fun one. Like one last like right. thrashing. We actually have an order that does that. Really? Yeah. Allows, so, yes. They still you can kill them all. They're still going to fight. So you're on death's door. You get one. That's cool. You still get called the Wolfen bonus. <laughs> the Wolfen bonus. <laughs> um, that's a good one. I just want to add one more because I remember reading it out of Ian's uh, codex is the one since we were talking about how do we do with flyers. I believe there's one that gives you some kind of attack against flyers in there. I don't know if you're... I didn't write all of them down because I wasn't planning on using the majority of them. Let me pull up the list here. It should be on the last page uh, for the stratagems. Let's see. Tremor shells, Wisdom of the Ancients, Honor the Chapter, Flak Missiles. Flak Missile, that's what it is. Oh. Oh, you're right. You can use this stratagem just before a friendly Adeptus Astartes infantry model attacks a unit that can fly with a missile launcher. You only make a single hit roll with the weapon in this phase. However, add one to the hit roll, and if it hits, you get D3 mortal wounds. Okay, so a missile launcher, you get one roll at it. At plus one, D3 mortal wounds if it hits. Yeah. That's very good. See, I think the way that that's worded, you would get your normal damage plus the D3 mortal wounds. So you could do up to nine wounds. In one shot. And then I think the most important thing about dealing with vehicles in this edition is like normally, like in seventh, we would ignore flyers. We would ignore some of the knights sometimes. And you can't really do that now. You can't let them run around the board and shoot at you for That's three, right. four turns. Like you need hmm. to knock them down. So you take them down to that second level where they're maybe instead of hitting on threes, hitting on fours yeah. or 
um, you know, even if you can, if you can drop them down that third level, that's fantastic. And you can just leave them there right. at that point. And right. that's when you can ignore them. Yeah. yeah but you can't right. let them fly around the game. And, the way it's written, it says you only make a single hit roll with this weapon, this phase. However, you add a one to the hit roll. And if it does hit, it's D3 mortal wounds. So it may just, I think this is just a different variety of missile that you can put into that uh, missile launcher. So okay. I think it's still max D3 mortal wounds, but you're getting the plus one to So it's hit. like a guaranteed, like if you need to finish off a vehicle or knock it down You're going to get that flyer with yeah. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So it's eliminating that minus one to hit. Basically, yes. it evens it right. out. Right. Yeah. right, that's it, yeah. One flyer question that I wish I knew, wish I had a better handle on. It was supersonic, I think, in 7th edition. Uh, I know the rule you're talking about. It's called supersonic, yeah. <clears throat> so this is for flyers. Each time this model moves, first pivot it on the spot up to 90 degrees. This does not contribute to how far the model moves. And then move the model straight forwards. Note that it cannot pivot again after its initial pivot. When this model advances, increase its move characteristic by 20 inches until the end of the phase. Do not roll a dice. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but what that means is, you can say the say with the Storm Raven that I'm taking, right? I can fly him straight. That initial move distance is a minimum of 20, maximum of 45 at his, at his highest wound level, right? I could move him, say, 45 inches out into the table. But the next move, if I want to turn him, I have to add 20 inches to that minimum 20 move distance. No. So the, what supersonic says is if you're flying in the supersonic mode, at the beginning of your movement, you have to pivot at 90 degrees. That's what it's saying. So when you advance, you're going to add 20. So you're going to, you know how you advance instead of shooting? Mm-hmm. When you advance, you're going to add 20 to your distance. You're assumed to be either in one of two modes, hover mm-hmm. or supersonic. Okay. And so if you're supersonic, you 90 degrees, and then you move. Gotcha. Okay. That, 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 that's what I was unclear about. My Necron flyers are like that, and the Necron flyers are really, really awesome. Um, you're absolutely right, because it's capital A advances. Right. I was reading it as when this model just moves forward. Increase 20 inches, but you're right. You don't have to roll for an additional 20 inches if you want to advance and not shoot. That's let, let me share this experience. I thought that would be limiting, but I believe that it's really, really hard to fly a flyer off the table. Hmm. You have to make a serious miscalculation serious to find error. yourself. Because you can always put it in the hover, right? Like, assuming it has hover. Right. So if it has hover, you can put it in the hover. You probably can't fly that Storm Raven off the board. It'll be really hard so, for you to do so, it. So that's what I was afraid of, and that's where I thought I was going to fly him off the table. Was I thought if it was in, if I wanted to go into supersonic, I thought supersonic first of all was the only way I could turn. Right. Change. If you're in hover, you act just like a tank, like a hover tank. Then you're good. Right. right. Then you're good. But, but you, you can be meleeed. Yes. And you can be assaulted. You don't get the right. minus one to hit against you. Right. If you are hovering and they charge you, you can still move out of there because you still have the fly capability. Right. So you're still fly, right. but. That key, oh, I don't know. Supersonic m- or hover may say that you lose the fly keyword. I'm not sure. Does it say it in there? Mm-hmm. No, it says before this model uh, before this model moves in your movement phase, you can declare it will hover. Its move characteristics becomes 20 inches until the end of the phase, and it loses airborne, hard to hit, and supersonic abilities until the beginning of your next phase. Okay, yeah, then yeah. then you're good. And airborne means this model cannot charge, can only be ch- a charged by units that can fly. Yeah, so you can be charged when you're in hover. Right, right. So the thing I recently found out about flyers that made me feel kind of dumb was that, you know that little cross base that they have? Mm-hmm. 
I didn't know that was for measuring the 90 degree turn. Ooh. Yeah. Nate, like, kind of used it the other day in a game I was watching him play against like, Grant. Hey. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, just, I, I just brought over the flyer base, and I want to see if that's true, because I never realized that either. I guess you're right. Yeah, it's all 90 degrees. Sure. Yep. So it's not only structurally sound, it's also tactically useful. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's cool. Good. So I'm glad. Okay, so now I understand supersonic and hover, hover better. I'm either in supersonic or I'm in hover. Right. When I'm in hover, I don't get airborne which means I can be charged. But listen, a couple of things. When you're in hover, you can claim an objective. Right. So and units can disembark only when you're in hover. That's right. Right. Okay. Oh, like, they can't disembark out of supersonic? Unless there's a rule that says you can't. Look under disembarkation. Yeah, I, I will. I'll look. I believe you can only... I, while he's looking that up, I want to say that one of the other things that's interesting about flyers is that you, we, don't forget, because I played a guy and he had a bunch of flyers, and so my only tactic, because I didn't have anything to do with them, I said, he put a lot of points in his flyer, so I'm just going to kill everything else. Because if the only thing he has left is flyers, he's out. Right. Yep. I love that change, the right. rules. Yeah. So here's disembark. Any unit that begins its movement phase embarked within a transport can disembark before the transport moves. When a unit disembarks, six, you know, three inches, and then it can go about its business. You might be right, Carlo. Does it say that? I mean, yeah. does it say anything about that? It doesn't mention disembarking from a flyer. I was playing it that I had to be in hover in order to disembark, because that made sense to me. You'd have to get low to the ground, you'd have to open the, the front doors in, in, the Storm Raven, in the Storm Raven's case, and everybody would run out. But maybe you don't. Maybe in, maybe rules as written, you don't have to be in hover to get out of a flyer. I mean, we're going to end up with a lot of flat space marines, but... Yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. <laughs> For the Emperor, y'all. <laughs> um, I mean, and you look at it too, like, how many armies, and I haven't read really any of the other codexes, but how many armies have flyers that don't have hover, and can they disembark? Necron. So, do they have hover? They don't have hover. But they can disembark, right? Yes, they have so, that oh, beam. Right, so you're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. But, is, but does it have a grab shoot special rule? No. Oh, okay, so you're right, Carlo. Yeah. So in that case, we can assume you can disembark. But it doesn't hold any models. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we need to... Look at that. What? We need I'm to not, FAQ I'm this. experiencing a cognitive disconnect. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't hold any models. But it still has the transport. It has a wormhole generator. Oh, okay. And then it creates the wormhole, and it come off of the tomb world. So it doesn't have the transport rule. It, do, it does have a transport, but it doesn't have a transport capacity. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. That's cool. So it does, that is bizarre. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> well, you so know what? This sounds like a little like made-up thing here. It's like no, a dedicated transport, maybe. You know what? With that in mind, that does kind of change my thinking about what I'm going to put in what then. I think if I can get away with disembarking while it's in supersonic... I mean, like, if a space marine can survive that, that impact, then he's good, you know? They're tough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing in the FAQ. They're like, they got jealous of the Terminators, and they're like, we want a deep strike too. Fur us out of that plane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I can fit in the Storm Raven, you can fit 12 infantry, one dreadnought, 12 infantry and one dreadnought. Each uh, jump pack or Terminator takes up two, and each Centurion takes a space of three. You should bring a dreadnought. So I can either put a dreadnought in it, which I didn't think about, or I can put my three Centurions in there. Put them like Ooh. way close to the enemy and just drop them out. Because I was thinking of putting them in the Land Raider, but maybe I'll switch it around. Where I'll put a, a Tactical Squad in the Land Raider and then put the Centurions in the uh, Storm Raven. That's a good idea. That's kind of cool. 
Because their grav is, what, 24 inches, right? Most of the time. So that would really benefit them. Hey, guys. While he's looking it up, let me just talk about the Necrons real quick. The rule reads like this. When you set up this model, at the same time, you can also set up any number of Dynasty infantry units on their tomb world rather than in the battlefield. At the start of each of your movement phase, a single unit that was set up in their tomb world can be transported to the battlefield by whatever the means is. And to do so, set the unit up so that it's wholly within three inches of the friendly ziggurat. Um, to, this is for the big guy that I like. The night sites or the monoliths. And so one of the things that um, Alex told me was that that means it doesn't have a capacity. And if you have a blob of 20, as long as you can set them up within three inches, you're good. You're good. Wow. And then they can move out. That's pretty sick. That's tremendous. Yeah, it's really That's good. like having that Gorgon. Right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that got destroyed. Turn one in oh, any no. pot game. <laughs> and Carlo, you're right though. So the Grav Cannon is a 24-inch weapon. Okay, yeah. So, so that's a great way to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what yeah, because otherwise they're walking up the field like uh, Terminators. Slow and steady, know? right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because they're only moving four inches. Now, do they count as two, and can they, they be taken as, in a transport? They count as three, and it does not say anywhere that they cannot be taken as a transport. That's good. It would say... Um, well, look at the rhino. Are you going to put them in a rhino? I'm going to put them in the Storm Raven now. Look at the Storm Raven. I did. And did mm-hmm. the Storm Raven say what it could carry? It said it could carry it could carry uh, Centurions, but they count as three okay. models yep. each. There you go. So yeah. I can take those three and nothing else in the Storm Raven. Well, you could take three more because it holds 12, right? So you're taking three, right? They count as... I can hit, it can fit 12 infantry. Uh-huh. And it, they, the Dreadnought counts... Or the uh, Centurions count as three So infantry, three of them right? will be nine. Yeah. Right. But you have space for three more. Like, in this edition... Like, if you had a character or something you wanted to throw in there, or, like, a squad of three guys... Oh, I see. Or another I Centurion. Point. I see your you point. Know? Right. I see your point. Mm-hmm. So wait a second. So you get throw a character in there that allows them to re-roll hits and stuff like that, and then just go grab crazy in the... I could, put, I could put my zone. HQ in there with him too. Then that's correct. But one Terminator would fit in there too, so I could put those three plus him. He's given everybody reroll ones, or if I take that stratagem, reroll everything. It's mm-hmm. like a mini Death Star right there in, in the backfield. That's cool. We're gonna win. We're gonna win. We're gonna win. <laughs> Just don't play this podcast for anybody. <laughs> right <yet. now. laughs> So the pa- follow-up podcast, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> they just kept coming. It's like they knew our strategy. Yeah, how did they figure it out? Um, so a thousand points. Actually, let's take a short break right now. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Okay. So we're talking 1,000 points for the Nova Open Trios Tournament. Lavelle, what are you thinking? Right now, I'm just taking my 2,000 point, and I'm starting to remove models. Okay. The only model that I've added in is um, an Inquisitor Acolyte, just because I need one more Elite. Now, it's... What does the Acolyte do for your Inquisitor? Absolutely nothing. It's just a solo that you can put in front of the Inquisitor. And so they can't shoot your Inquisitor until they get the solo. So he's a bullet sponge. Yes. And, but you have to fill that slot, so you needed to take something. That's correct. Okay. So where I have now, I've dropped the tanks. Okay. I've dropped the tanks, and, you know, I, I did this without looking at what you two guys are bringing. Right. So this mm-hmm. is important. This is good. Mm-hmm. I dropped the tank, so I need another HQ, so I added in a field officer. That gives me four orders that I can use now. But here's the thing, though. Um, one commander can order the other commander. 
Hmm. So an, an order that might that might matter on is move, move, move. Right. Which allows you to move in advance and then move in advance. So wow. You, so in you one can turn? In one turn. Whoa. So one... Instead of shooting, you move in advance again. That's really cool. Or you can move in advance and get back into the fight. Um, or can, the, but you can't charge. Is there something that, that You can't will, charge when you advance. Okay. Can you charge if you move advance, shoot, and then charge? Move. Yes, you can move advance, and there's an order that would actually allow you to shoot. Okay, is there an order that allows you to charge, too, or no? No. No, okay. There's an order that allows you to fall back and still shoot. That's really cool. The other thing that it, there's an order, there's an order called fixed bayonets, which allows you to fight in the shooting phase and still fight in the upcoming fight phase. Oh, that's great. And that can be critical for your, my HQ if he gets caught in a combat. And one of your HQ choices could move, move, move the other HQ choice. That's right. So that's key. Yeah. Right. That's so cool. you can you can you can actually get him out of danger's way by making him fall back and then and move 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 make him call fall back again. Oh, that's great. Wow. So that that's I, I I'm adding the other field officer. I'm that's keeping smart. the troops the same. Um, what do you pay for the Inquisitor acolyte? Um, the Inquisitor acolyte is only twelve points. Okay, and then the uh, she has a bolt gun and a power sword. All right. But right now, just for full disclosure, I'm thirty eight points over. I don't know what I'm doing yet about that. All right. So um, I'm, I'm keeping the quartermaster in yep. for right now for that other fill no pain role. I might mm-hmm. I got to figure out what I'm gonna do. How many points that. is he? The quartermaster is 54 points. All right. Um, and then I, I still like the Colossus bombards. So I'm thinking if I'm partnering with Carlos the Space Wolves and they're plowing across the table, I can use the bombards to whittle down the competition before he gets there. That's smart. So yep, I'm trying to smart. keep I'm trying to keep them in play right now, both mm-hmm. of them. And then I, I dropped the two averses and I'm down to two vindicators. Okay. Because we still need that ability to pick off that yep. HQ. Yep, that big character needs to right. come down. Yep. And then the Inquisitor, because I like that psychic ability yep. and the um the acolyte. So I don't have in either of my lists a psyker, which I may want to remedy. Because the ability to try to take to stop somebody else's psychic power is really important. And smite is great. Right. I have, so, to, yeah, I have to it, give that some thought. It's really powerful. And it's also nice to have something that could potentially blow up in your opponent's like um, deployment zone. Because de- when they perils, they take a lot of stuff with them. Right. So I haven't seen it happen yet. Like, it's really hard, but, you know, it is be there, interesting. Is there anything in the Nova documentation that says I couldn't take a different HQ for my 1,000-point list that was not in the 2,000-point list? No. So, so maybe I could the, take the, a librarian. The two lists don't doesn't the two lists don't have to be a subset. Okay. So maybe I do like a maybe I do a psyker for one of my H, for an HQ choice on my thousand point list. That's not a bad idea. That'd be cool. Yeah, I still got to come up with thirty eight points. Okay. But before I kind of whittle that down, I'm I'm trying to get one more game in with the bulk of my two thousand point army. Right. And because I might find I'm finding limited use for the commissar. Hmm. Um, I took it out of the one thousand point list, but the reason is. They, it's hard to make them take that morale test, and in the morale test, they are only they're going to use the, their um, their leadership, and then they're only going to use lose one model with the the commissar. So I, I played against a <clears throat> played against a guard army last week, and the commissar stayed in cover with some heavy firing squad. What are the the units? Uh, yeah, yeah, the heavy. It's like the two, heavy, two guys on a base. With heavy the, weapons the, team. Heavy weapons team. Yeah. So the commissar just stayed with the heavy weapons team the whole time. Didn't even come out to fight. That was it. 
It wasn't very effective. Yeah, it yeah. Effective. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah the commissar has got to be around the bulk of the troops. Right. To keep them in line. Right. Is he your most expensive HQ choice? He's not right. HQ choice. Oh, he's not. It's an elite. Oh, okay. That's cool. Right. It's an elite. And, you know, my comment, I built the armies around my commissar and the, um, my inquisitor and my acolytes because I, re- I got really cool female models that I like a lot. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. Carlo, what about you? So, you know, I was really unsure and I hadn't actually built a list, but I was thinking of some stuff because I know I didn't know exactly what the two of you were going to play. And I wanted to make a list that could complement both of them since we can't change it up. And I know yours was a lot of vehicles. Yep. I know yours is a lot of troops, right? I think that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like on one hand, I could put a lot of troops in to try and bubble rack some of your tanks so they don't get and like that's one thing we totally have to worry about since we're all playing tanks is them getting charged and then having to fall back and they can't shoot. So, you know, we're playing a lot of tanks. Like, I have three, you have, like, six or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and you have a bunch. So, so let, let, let's... Your list right now, how many... T- you have three? I have three, yeah, in my 2,000-point list. So if you so, go down to 1,000, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I would drop uh, at least one Razorback and then maybe drop the Rhino or the Razorback and take... Um, like, it depends on if you guys want me to bring my long fangs. Because if I bring the long fangs, then I can get rid of the Razorback. Um, but if you guys are going to play more shooty, I can just load my 1,000-point list, list up with, like, cavalry and stuff like that. And, like, some Fenrisian wolves and just, like, chaff that I can bring along to run up the field really quick and tie people up. And then let you bombard them. You know? I, I like that approach. Yeah. That's what I was kind of counting on huh. with the... The space wolves. So I'm shooting from a back and, and slowly moving my troops up. But in the meantime, he's worried about all of these thunder wolves kind of bearing down on him. Sure. And he's got to pick his shots. And while that's going on, my bombard is kind of pounding him. Right. And I've just bought three more, so I could do nine. Wow. So and they're two around two hundred points a squad. So that'd be like six, six. of those. And I take Harold Death Wolf, which is that he gets a two up invul against shooting attacks. How many wolves can you bring? Um, I have enough to build. So this all depends on how much I can hobby in the next two weeks, like how hard I can hobby. So I'm going to have to really like break down and like get like an 80s montage, like theme list going <laughs> and then like spend 20 consecutive hours at the table. And uh, I have 30 um, Fenrisian wolves yet to build. Wow. So I could build... You know, and I think they're, like, cheap. They're, like, 50 points a squad or something like that. It would be so. super fun to have a ton of wolves on a 1,000-point list. Yeah. That's super fun. Because it causes the opponent to, to have to do something about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You have to respond to something like that. Wow. And they, they're strong now. They do... Um, I can't remember if they have the same profile as the Thunderwolf does, but he does... It's strength 5, AP minus 1, 1 damage on a 3-up to hit. So he's like a heavy bolter. That's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just talk through this. Okay. If you're if you're with me mm-hmm. in your thousand point list, you don't need to worry about objectives. Right, because you have all the infantry. Right. If you yeah, assuming you're right. Right. If I'm the same thing applies to me. So in that case your thousand point list should be hard hitting. So maybe it's all right. Yeah. Okay. Except when you're together. That's what I was saying. I, I think my stuff is like I can easily adapt to more stuff. Um, 
the only problem is if I bring cavalry, then they're kind of like a one-dimensional unit. So if I bring some, like, more troops, I was thinking about bringing a lot of troops, like three squads of ten or something like that, and just bringing some tanks and, like, an HQ or something, or two HQs, and then that would be my thousand-point list. Because traditionally, like, from my experience, and this is advice that has been given to me numerous times, is that in thousand-point matches, it's more important to have more units on the board than a couple really, like, strong-hitting Hmm. units so That's interesting. now we're going to be playing a 2000 point game so it's a little bit different we're making like a half list basically for a larger game and yeah. it's you know we're playing on a larger board still and it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen right in my thousand points i have 11 units i have 11 units um a lot of them are single model units and you figure the model a model like the um the vindicare is not and the colossus is not necessarily going to move i have seven in my thousand point list i have a the uh, Captain and Terminator armor, two five-man tactical squads, Tech Marine, Land Raider, Predator, Vindicator. That's 998 points. I can put all no, the... I actually like that list. I can play with May. Yeah, we also have to think about, like, as we move forward, stuff dropping in behind us. Oh, yeah. So... Yep. I've been taking bubble wrapping, my especially the Vindicator and the Predator, with tactical squads. From the rear. That's a good idea. So I've been creating this kind of line where nobody can get within one inch of those. You, you have to get within one inch of the infantry if you're going to try to charge those tanks. Which we could do with, with both of your armies too, because you'll have more models to kind of spare. You could leave a unit in the backfield almost. Yeah, like for 300 points, I could have six units of five wolves and just like pepper them all over the backfield to prevent drops. Yeah. That's a really good this. idea. My infantry, in one turn, can theoretically move, you know, 18 inches. So they're going to move six, then they're going to advance for three, and they're going to do that twice. So I can move them out of cover up to take an objective, depending on the placement of the objectives. What I was thinking, if if your force, specifically your force, Mm -hmm. if your armor is pounding on their big armor, Mm -hmm. and then your guys are going up in their face... And now they have to deal with you. By the time, if they can manage to deal with you, my force... We've got to be in turn three at that point. Sure. And you're at that point, you're surrounding objectives already. Right. Yeah. Okay. That but then we're good. dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the cannon fire. We're at a time. We're at a time. <laughs> So having discussed our 1,000 and 2,000 point lists, let's take a look at the mission pack for Nova briefly, and we'll, uh, we'll at least try to match up whose 1,000 right. point list is most appropriate for which of those missions. Okay. Well, whose 2,000 point list? Correct. Right. Sorry. Right. For the solo missions, yes. 2,000 points. Fire away. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, basically, first thing, itinerary. We're playing a game at 10, taking a break at 1, playing another game at 2, and then round three's at... 530. Okay. And then they're doing awards at 830. So, mission one is open ground. Uh, battlefield setup. Place a primary objective marker 12 by 12 inches from each corner of the battlefield and a primary objective marker 6 inches from each long edge and 36 inches from the short edges for a total of 6. So basically, 
I guess you're doing one in each quadrant on the corners. And primary jacker marker six inch from each long edge. And then like one kind of the two that are in the middle of the board are a little bit closer to the to the deployment zones if you were playing like Dawn of War. Yep. You know. Primary objectives. So you can either choose continuous or you can choose end game. Right. Okay. So beginning with turn two, score one victory point at the end of each of your player turns for each primary objective marker you control. In continuous, right? In continuous. Sure. And then there's end game, which is earn three victory points per primary objective marker at, at the end of the game. So gotcha. it's basically uh, mission one on Eternal War, except there's you know, an ability to score if you're not like an end game army that's going to ha- like be sturdy enough to survive that whole game to turn five, right. then you can score every turn. Right. Um, your secondary objectives are breaker. Score one victory point for each opposing vehicle, fortification, or monster unit completely destroyed, and two victory points for each opposing psyker unit eliminated. Wow. Okay. Okay. And these all follow that nine, six, mm-hmm. three okay. thing. So, um, break their back at the end, at the game end, each unit that has been eliminated or has had at most 25 of its percent of its starting models remaining is broken. Units of models starting with 10 or more wounds are broken if the majority of their starting models have been eliminated or have at most a quarter of their starting wounds remaining. Oh. Earn two victory points per 25%, 50%, and 75% quartile of your opponent's army by units that is broken. By unit count. Right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. for the first 25% you break, you get two points. You break 50% of his army, an additional two. When you get 75% down, that's six total. So you can pick that secondary. If you're, like, going for the the uh, board, like, table the guy, mm-hmm. then that's right. a good thing to take. Right. Uh, overrun, at game end, count how many units you have, at least partially, within your opponent's half of the battlefield, and how many units your opponent has, at least partially, within your half of the battlefield. If your number is higher, score two victory points for each point difference. Units embarked in transport do not count. So everybody is playing that as their first mission. So that's going to be a 1,000 point. That's going to be... It'll be two of us playing that mission together. Mm -hmm. And then one of us playing that mission solo at the same time. That doesn't sound like a good solo mission for me. Right. Exactly. I could probably do that mission. um, Unless... Although, Tim, you'd be really good at that... End game scoring. Your so your guys objectives. are like solid, like they're not going to get killed. But yeah. if he has more stuff on the objective than you do, then that could be an issue. Like if he has two, like if you just have one tank on that objective, it's going to be an issue. That's where the uh, mm-hmm. objective secured doesn't come into play, right? Right. And did I read the seize ground? Choose two terrain pieces not in your deployment zone. They must each have a footprint of at least nine square inches. Do not declare these now, but do secretly record your selection. Reveal mm-hmm. these at the end game and score three victory points for each yeah. piece that you control. So, so I think either you or I could could probably do that one. Maybe you because you'll have more models. Let's 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 hear some more. Okay, next one. Mm-hmm. Mission two: Slaughter Zone. Beginning with the player that did not choose deployment zones, alternate placing a secondary objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone and then another outside both zones for a total of four on the battlefield. At game end, each unit that has been eliminated or has at most 25% of its starting models remaining is broken. Um, So, again, the same broken rules. Uh, Primary objective, 
Units uh, of models starting with 10 or more wounds are broken if the majority of their starting models have been eliminated or most have uh, at most mm-hmm. a quarter of their starting wounds remaining. Earn two victory points per quarter tile. So it's basically that mission from mission one that you could take if you want to table your opponent, yep. but that's the only primary mission that's available okay. for slaughter then. So let's kill everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, interrogation is your secondary, first secondary choice. Um, score one victory point for each opposing character removed as a casualty. In addition, whenever an opponent, an opposing character is removed as a casualty by any means, put a casualty objective marker in its place. You score two victory points for each such marker controlled at the game end. Oh, that's cool. I, I played this against Carl a couple weeks ago. It was really paid off because you know if if they have even just two characters, that means you get a point for killing each one. And if you can keep somebody by those as objective markers, that's another four points. That's great. So yeah. um, seek and destroy. Choose and declare a battlefield role other than troop. Score two victory points at the game end for each enemy unit of this role that was destroyed. Gotcha. So elite, blah, blah, Stalwart. Score two victory points at game end per objective marker you control. Um, and then majority control. After each battleground, after each battle round, score one victory point if you control more objective markers than your opponent, and one point if you control more than half. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I never see that being too useful. Like, it's too... Like, you don't know how your opponent's army is going to play at, at tournaments. You know what I mean? Like, sure. you never know what they're going to do, so... And you're going to at least both have one. Mm-hmm. You're going to try to take another one turn two. Yeah, it's probably not a good one to pick. Yeah. So, mission three is that battlefield mission. Uh, place primary objective markers 16 by 16 from each corner of the battlefield and a fifth at the center. So, this is that one I played this morning gotcha. with Carl. Uh, simultaneously with declaring secondary objective, both players choose and declare three of the following primary objectives for themselves, worth at most nine victory points total. So same in each mission. Control a central primary objective marker at the game end for three points. That's A. B is choose and declare one of the primary objective markers in the corners on your opponent's side of the battlefield and earn three victory points if you control that game end. C is earn one victory point at game end per primary objective marker controlled up to a total of three. A marker cannot be scored for both this end objectives A or B. Um, three is, or D is earn three victory points if at least 25 of the opponent's army is broken. Percentile. Uh, e is earn three victory points if at least 50 of the opponent's army is broken. And then F is earn one victory point per core trial if at least 25, 50, and 70% of your army is not broken. Hmm. And then at game end, each unit has been eliminated. At game end, each unit that has been eliminated or has at most twenty five percent of its starting models remaining is broken. So again, the broken rules. Um, and then secondary objectives for this mission are assassination, which is two points per enemy character. Meat grinder, which is one point for each opposing troop unit destroyed. Reconnaissance, which is two points for each friendly unit within twelve inches of like line breaker, basically. Mm-hmm. And then breach points, which is two terrain pieces again. Hmm. I got to take the first one. You think? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not. I, I'm standing alone. Both of those give too many. Op- my army gives too many opportunities for victory points. Hmm. Got a lot of solos. Right. 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 Hmm. That's true. You have a lot of characters. Right. And a lot of units. Yeah. But I can really support on that last one. So. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the only thing we have to determine now, if I'm taking the first one, you're taking the first one solo. Right. Who's going to take the next one solo, and then everything else will kind of fall out, fall in together? I feel like I would be good at the third one solo. 
Okay, cool. I can take the second one then. Because that's pretty much just like a table yeah. match. So Done. Mm-hmm. All Sounds right. Good. You heard it here, folks. Cool. That's how we're going to win. <laughs> So, you know, a couple of things, a couple of rules that I've kind of encountered that I wanted to make sure that we, we had a chance to discuss. So multiple combats. I got into a, a, right. I had to explain this with a couple of people who really were kind of on the initiative thing and how it works and how combat is exchanged. I have to say, I'm going to start by saying I really like the way things happen now. Right. Simultaneous combat was always a little confusing, and it created some, okay, who's swinging, who's going to survive, who gets to swing, and it increased the number of dice rolls. So I think it's clear. At the end of the charge subphase, you got a bunch of units in combat. At no point in time will there be two units swinging at the same time. You agree with that statement? Correct. Correct. Right. So all the chargers, they get to go first. Right. And the guy who's charging gets to decide what order they are going to kind. He's going to kind of initiate that. But that two point is it two points interrupt? Yes. That two point interruption is really really critical. Sure. So when you get to say okay, you you selected your first one. Now I'm going to interrupt with these two. But even if you have three different units in combat, only one of them are, are is ever going to be swinging. At the same, at, at one, any given time. Right. I have a question now. I've been charged. I got a unit standing there. I got a unit of flayed ones, and my unit of flayed one charges two units. I said I've been charged, but they charge two units. They don't get m- mashed up in the Overwatch, so I'm engaged in two units. Even though I have one unit that's fighting, I can still split where they're fighting. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. As long as they're still in coherency, correct? That's right. You can charge multiple units. You right. can charge multiple units, right. but one, that unit, even though that unit swinging is one unit, it will be affecting more than one opposing unit. Correct. And both units will get Overwatch in that case. With if in the charge phase, right? They can. Can you if if you charge when you pile in, you can engage another unit, but you can't. You can't attack it. You can't attack yeah, it. You can only attack what you've charged at, um, and. That also applies to any character doing like a heroic intervention. So if your opponent intervenes with a character, you can't attack that model, but he can attack you. So it's you really? got to be very careful, yeah, about that kind of stuff. Do you have to tr- do you have to fight what you've charged? I believe uh, I read somewhere in the fact or the rule book that says you can't skip. Like, are you asking if you just, like, if you don't want to swing at anything at all and, like, not kill anything? No, or are you let, asking- let's say there's, say there's two units next to each other, right? Two mm-hmm. enemy units next to each other. One has a better number of shots for Overwatch than the other. So I charge the one with fewer shots back in Overwatch. But my charge distance puts me within one inch of the other unit. So when, when you pile in, you pile into the, another unit and engage them. Right, but they're not going to get their Overwatch against me because I did not necessarily charge that unit. I just ended my charge within within fight distance of that in the second unit. That's correct. But what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to swing on that unit, but it will be able to swing on you. I see. I see. 
Okay. So either way, like if you're charging something like Tau, where it's scary, the Overwatch is scary. You know, you could put yourself in that position, and that would right. be a good choice. But okay, that's right. You probably wouldn't want to do it with like Marines or something like that. But you, I've done it with vehicles. How so? Where I char, where you charge the um, the unit that is bubble wrapping the vehicle. Yep. And after you charge that unit, you manage to wrap around into the vehicle. And somebody can fight with the vehicle. No, you still can't char- fight with the vehicle. The vehicle will get to fight you. But the main thing is now the vehicle can't shoot on its next turn. Oh, I see. It would have to withdraw. And then it, because of that, it would lose its ability to shoot. Key. That's key. Very that key. didn't occur to me. That's great. Unless it's a flying vehicle. Right? Unless it's, yeah. Yeah, you don't want right. that with flyers. Right. They'll Unless fly and shoot. Fly. That's really important. Yeah. The other thing is about yeah. um, when a vehicle's in combat, I'm not sure about this rule. When a vehicle's in combat, can you disembark? Yes. On the movement phase? Before it moves. Because so, the, the dis- disembarkation happens before the movement phase. Correct. Yes. So because that vehicle can't move because it's in combat, you can still disembark from it. Yes. I made the mistake a couple of games ago of charging a rhino that was full of chaos marines thinking that they wouldn't be able to get out, but they can get out. Yeah. I know, like, a lot of us have been playing that way. Um, do we ha- have, like, a fact that, that says allows what? that to happen? Like, because I know, I, I don't think there's anywhere in the rulebook that's, like, disallows that, right? So, and that's the kind of been the issue with some of the rules in this edition. Like, again, like Lavelle said, I really enjoy the rules change. I think a lot of them have been working really well, but the simplification of the rules has allowed for like some loopholes that sure. might not be have been there otherwise. So, so the so the disembark rule says any unit that begins its movement phase embarked within a transport can disembark before the transport moves. Right. So, so like if you really want to be a rules lawyer about that, you could be like, before the transport moves. Well, the vehicle has to move for you to disembark, right? Like, nah. I don't think I don't think that's the intention at all. But Be- I, I, because you're locked in combat, it's not that you're skipping the movement phase. It's just that the vehicle can't move in the movement phase. Right. So, so the way that I'm reading it is that you can disembark, even though that vehicle is is, is stuck in combat. Lavelle, do you agree with that? I what agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. With I agree. That too. You can disembark as long as you're disembarking the proper distance from that other unit. Right. You have a three inch ring around right. your vehicle and at least one inch away from the enemy. Unit. Right. So right. you could disembark, then move your vehicle out of combat and then charge with the unit that just embarked. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So another, another interesting thing, say Lavelle, your three D six guys on the charge. Right. That's valuable because even though that tank might be that, say you say you want to charge a vehicle that say you charge a transport, right? That transport's 12 inches away, but you roll an 18 on those 3d6. And that transport is bubble-wrapped. So they can't get out because you're they're going to be within one inch of you no matter where you are. So you can essentially keep those Marines in the Rhino by getting enough guys around that. That's correct. That's great. Hmm. That's, cor- that's correct. I mean, it's not going to happen every game. It's obscure, but it could happen. So did we talk about the Overwatch not be, having to be able to see? Because, you know, that, that rule took me by surprise, That's too. important, yeah, because you can charge stuff that you can't see, but the enemy has to be able to see you before you make the charge move in order to fire Overwatch. That's correct. So essentially, you're catching them by surprise if you're charging a unit that you cannot see because they do not have line of sight to fire at you. So that did make sense to me when I first experienced it, but then I hid my Inquisitor in a building behind a corner. 
and I was able to charge around the corner and get them. And that made sense to me once I said, oh, wait, I'm hiding and waiting for them to come by. And then I'm catching them by surprise so yeah. they don't get to fire the overwatch. Because overwatch is supposed to happen like the second your charging unit's boot leaves the ground. You know what I mean? Like it's like right as they're starting to move. So if you can't see the unit at the point at which they're starting that move, then you can't fire overwatch at it, which is important. And tactically useful. If there's a lot of terrain on the table, you could have a lot of fun with that rule. You could sneak up on stuff really quickly and get in for the get in for the fight phase. That's right. And if you have a veteran player of the older editions, you know, that rule might not be in the front of their mind. You need to be able to reference it and go yep, right yep, in yep. and do it. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's an easy one that you could fall back on seventh edition ways and just think you're getting overwatch on everything. But right. in this edition you're not necessarily the case. Yeah. I believe there was an FAQ for that too, so you can back that up with documentation. There, for it, was, it was absolutely in the FAQ. Yeah. Okay, cool. Lavelle, tips and tricks. Nova Open is not your first rodeo when it comes to going to a wargaming convention. What are some things that you wish you had known before you went to your first con, say, or to the last one you went to? What are some things we can offer our listeners that might help them have a better experience at a convention like Nova Open? So let me talk about cons in general. Yeah. One of the, the worst things, there's a lot going on at a con. You should really pick what you want to do as much as possible before you get there right. or else you'll spend a lot of time wandering around trying to figure out what you're going to do. Right. Um, a game like 40K requires preparation, packing, and, and you need to know what you're doing before you get there. Right. At the same time, don't schedule yourself all the way up. Right. There's a lot of great things that's going on. Schedule yourself some, make sure you have time to walk around the dealer room at the Nova is great. Make sure you have enough time to walk around and not just play other games, get demos, learn other things, but just talk to your friends. I have friends at the Nova that I only see at the Nova. Um, and it gives you some time to catch up. Yeah. At, at least, and we, we've been doing this the last few years. I've, I've been the Nova, I guess, for five years, five or six years. And on that time, I've, I've only missed one year. One of the things that we try to do is we try to schedule a dinner away from the Nova where we can just go someplace and sit down and reconnect with the people that That's you smart. came there with. That's smart. In Philly, we take a pretty big contingent to the, the, the Nova, and it's important for us to just talk about our experience. Yep. I also recommend it, it can be difficult. You know, you might want to also put in some time for a pickup game. If you already got your army, the, the terrain is already there, try to pick up pickup game. This con, this Nova right here, I am playing, hold your horses, I'm playing Wrath of Kings, yep. I'm playing Infinity, I am playing um, Wrath of Kings, Infinity, I'm playing 40K, I have another tournament that I'm doing, but the other thing that I'm doing is I'm setting some time aside for board gaming. Nice. Um, in the evenings, I think it's Saturday night, they do a really good casual board gaming thing, and it's a lot of people in the room, and it gives you a chance to game and just relax. Don't forget... You know, you're going to the Nova, you're going to play whatever game you love, but you also have a little vacation going on. Mm -hmm. So take a little time to relax. Don't, don't, or else what will happen is you'll have to come back from the Nova and recover. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of make your, make sure yourself, you have some time so that you're not strung out. Yeah. If you start gaming back to back to back to back on Thursday, I don't care what's going on by Saturday, you're going to be burnt out. Right. And you're going to be making mistakes the whole nine yards. Just give yourself a little space between games and make sure, more importantly, I, people may disagree with this. I don't engage in this to win. I got I to gotta be having fun. 
If I'm not having fun, it's time to leave the game table. So make sure that, you know, your sportsmanship matters, making sure that you're engaging in a hobby. You're doing something with people you like. Don't take things so seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought up the scheduling thing because as I mentioned earlier, that was a mistake I made last year. So this year I left the schedule intentionally pretty wide open. And even when I went to Adepticon, I left the schedule pretty wide open so I could leave the opportunity to, to do some board gaming, to, to play, and really try the games that vendors had brought. You know, I got a whole game of, uh, of Warpath in with one of the guys from Mantic because I had the time to do it, which was, which was amazing. Whereas with Adepticon last year, it was back-to-back games, and it was a bit much. Like Carlo and I are doing this Dark Age build-and-play thing because there's you know, time built mm-hmm. into the schedule. There's a, lo- a lot of great board games came out this year. I would like to be able to have the opportunity to sit down with one of them while we're down there, too. I did not know you played Warpath. I, it was my first game in March. Yeah, yeah. I, have an, I have a dwarf farm, and it's pretty good. It's a good, it's a good game. I had a good time with it. Yeah, I had a good time with it. It, cool. it. You know, you get a chance to experience things that are outside of your lane. Yep. And you get the, the chance to do things. Um, it's just a great opportunity. I, I have some guys in Maryland, and I always say I'm going to go play with. For Infinity, that's the only time I really get to play with them. But they really do, and I tell people all the time, you know, I play all the time in, in, in my own meta. Leave your meta. You're going to learn more. You're going to experience more. So be comfortable with that and kind of go out there and try different things. Yeah, yeah I, I recommend even if you're a solid 40K player, there are some build and play. There are some other things that you can do. Just experience. Just, just, mix, just it give it a, mix it up. Yeah, totally. For a long time, my sons and I did um, the team war machine mm. and the team uh, and the individual war machine. And we, we did that on one day. We, we never took 40K because we never wanted to lug all the pieces up there. Sure, sure. But now... Now, they're not getting in my car. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> room. So that, you know, I try to experience things outside of what you do. Yeah. I also, there's that big dealer there. I was able to flesh out my um, Necron army with some of his armies that he was selling. So t- make sure you, you can't bleed, breeze through that dealer room. The real deals are sitting there going through, going right. through the bits, bins, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, that bits dealer there, right? Yeah. Awesome. The, like yeah. plastic bins full of everything, yeah. And, and then people are sitting on the floor looking for one yep, piece. Yep. <laughs> I think the great thing about that um, dealer is that, like, in a lot of the kits that you buy from GW, there are th- things missing, right? Because, like, they were l- released later for that army past the time that they built the mold or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know for me, like, I can't get melted guns or flamers in my Space Wolf kits. So it was really nice to have that option going yeah. there. Last year I picked up two Melta guns and it like helped me fill out my army a little bit more. Totally so. cool. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes they sell things in, in kits right. and you only want one model. Sure. And you can go there and you can get that. Just get the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. leave yourself some time. Um, a couple of things. Leave yourself some time. Have fun first. Leave yourself some time. Try to relax. Every year, no matter what, I make time to go to the pool. Mm. Try to relax. And, you know, remember your sportsmanship. Remember your sportsmanship. It does not, it's not that at this point, we're not playing for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no mm-hmm. billion dollar prize. I'm, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to see that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you lose a game, you, whether you win a game, you know, it's all about bragging rights. Just yep. be sportsman and, and take the time. Even though I don't, I haven't played 40K before this year, I always set aside a considerable amount of time to walk that floor. Right. Because you will see some amazing, amazing armies. Yeah, yeah. Just to take it all in is really important. Yeah, the I, I'd like to echo everything you just said, and to add, just to stay hydrated and well fed throughout the days too is important. Yeah, I found myself like getting hangry by the end of day two because I just needed 
just needed calories. So you know, it is that. it is a lot of work. It, it is a lot of yeah. work, like going around, like walking around, and the air is very dry in hotel convention centers. So do stay hydrated and do keep eating. Yeah, I got one more f- funny <laughs> story. <laughs> so we, we're we're Grubhub fiends. So we ordered a Grubhub there, and they delivered it right there. They came and found us in the room, and we had our food, and it was great because we got to play and take a break. It was great. Didn't have to leave. Wonderful. When I got back here, I was at Red Caps. And I ordered another Grubhub, <laughs> but I didn't change my location. It went to the, it went to the convention they center. Me and said, "Which hotel room are you in?" Ooh, oh, I'm no. sorry, <laughs> but I have to say, Grubhub did. They did refund me the money. Don't forget to switch. Don't forget to switch that address back. Right. Yeah, cool. Um, I want to say. Um, so we talked. You talk, you brought up the point of hydration. A couple of places that I want to bring to people's attention. There is, you know, we're in the hotel, one building over, same side of the street, there is a little office building, and people don't know it. In that office building, Thursday, Friday, and uh, I don't think Saturday, Thursday and Friday, they have a little breakfast cafe. Great food, really cheap. All right. Right across the street there, right? No, no, not across the street. Oh, no. It's on the same side of the street. It's in the bottom of the office building. You know, it's like a typical cafe that... Feeds the office yeah, workers. Yeah, you can get whatever. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And a couple of times we went there, we were running late. She made the food fast, gave it to us to go. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot of good a lot of good food alternatives in the area. I'll be there Friday morning. That sounds good. Nice. Carla, what about you? Looking back, and what would you recommend to somebody? Um, you know, I think one great thing we did last year was all drive down together. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Alex came in the car with us. Yeah. You know, we had a little less room, but I feel like it, you know, it made that three-hour ride seem like 30 minutes. Totally. We were psyched when we got there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then um, I kind of wish, like, if I had, like, a little bit, like, more time to take off of work, like, maybe next year or something like that, when I get some extra vacation days, I'm going to take off that Wednesday and drive down the night before. Mm, yeah, that is nice. Because yep. I think it would be nice to just, like, wake up and kind of chill a little bit on Thursday before playing an all-day tournament. Yeah, we are, <laughs> we, are, we are getting there, checking in, and then going right to the tables. Yeah, yeah that's true. You, you think you'll be able to check in? Yeah, we did last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were good. Okay. Yeah, we we even left awesome. late. Like we left at like six thirty by the time all of us were in the car. Yeah, we so. got right in and yeah, it was fine. Okay, but yeah. I was driving at like miles yeah. per hour, so you know. Yeah, I did call while we were we were probably ten miles away, and I called to check if the rooms are ready on route, and they said yes, they'll be ready when you get here, which was really nice. Okay. I stashed everything and went right back downstairs to play, which was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. I hope everybody found that section useful. We'll take a short break and close out the show next up a future history section where TJ and I take a look at the Alpha Legion So we've been talking about doing an Alpha Legion episode for quite a while. I feel like it's long overdue. I know you're a big fan of the Alpha Legion. I'm a huge fan of the Alpha Legion. Um, So I'm stoked. I think this will be a a good conversation. There are so many layers to talk about. There's no shortage of things to talk about when it comes to the Alpha Legion. Yeah, there there is a good variety. typical to the alpha legion a lot of it is kind of of myth and they've kind of developed this 
persona, whereas, you know, you don't really... A lot of what is known about the Alpha Legion is kind of speculation, both in the fluff and kind of in real life. So it's interesting that 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 some someone could come up with something like this and, and write it down in fiction. You know, it it kind of a, I feel like the Alpha Legion has also grown out of themselves, too. Why don't we start by talking about what do we think we know? What do we think is like a, like a like a truth about the Alpha Legion? They are the 20th Legion. Yep, and and it is confirmed that uh, they were the Alpha Legion. That was the name they went by in Imperial documents and things. Um, they had many other names for themselves. Um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is the Unbroken Chain, simply the Legion. Um, but but the official accepted name is the Alpha Legion. So even even their name, you know, it shifts and 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 takes on different depending on where and when and how. Yeah, yeah. They're also the youngest Legion, meaning they they were the most recently found prior to the start of, yeah. Um, yeah, of, the, they, of, the, of the Crusade. Yeah, I think it was fairly late. Not not late, but comparatively late in the, the Great Crusade when they were found. I mean, Horus was already a central figure at this time. Um and and because all the other Primarchs had already been discovered, there wasn't, um, you know, you hear stories about, you know, Fulgrim meeting Sanguinius or Fulgrim and Ferris Manus and um, Perturabo and Manus and, and all the other Primarchs. There, there was a bond formed with, with some other Primarch at some point, but because Alpharius is essentially the little brother, all of the other siblings had gone off to college. Uh, right, right. He was sort of stuck home alone with dad almost. He didn't spend a ton of time after his discovery. You know, they had the customary rejoicing and things, but but he was pretty much just then sent out. And even that, we don't know exactly when or where. Um, I believe one of the first campaigns, and, and this is all horse heresy, one of the first campaigns that they were that were aware of that they were in was the Ragdan genocide which was what kind of brought the Dark Angels down to such a small um, a small legion size. is, right. And then the Alpha Legion was kind of sent there via reinforcements. We don't necessarily know at this point if they, were the, if they went by the Alpha Legion or if Alpharius had been found. Why don't we go to that origin story first? Yeah, so... Um, Depending on where you're you're looking at it from, uh, Alpharius was the only Primarch not found by the Emperor. He was he was found by Horus, and the way it had happened was Horus was going out on the Great Crusade, and they entered a new system, and the fleet was continually ambushed by a much smaller, somewhat more advanced craft and it would just you know kind of hit and run and they couldn't really catch these guys and slowly you know these little ships were wearing down the fleet just from constant you know death by a thousand cuts yeah um finally through a series of smaller battles the vengeful spirit was caught off guard and boarded which which is you know that's horace's flagship so that's a significant feat to accomplish and you know 
someone was just killing their way through uh, Horus' elite bodyguard, you know, the Justarian. And, and I believe Abaddon was a part of the, the Justarian yes. before yes. he, you know, rose to a higher position. But, you know, for someone to kill their way through the, you know, the Luna Wolves' best warriors was impressive. And they get to the bridge and the guy goes to shoot Horus and they both realize that, you know, Alpharius had realized that Horus was his brother. And of course, then, you know, there's we don't know how much time Alpharius was with um, Horus or anything like that. Now, that's a confirmed lie. We don't know that 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 is officially now a lie. What part of that is a lie? All of it, essentially. The whole thing. We we don't know. That's 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 kind of the fun about their origin. Instead of just saying no, their origin's a secret and no one knows. They give us these three origin stories, and we kind of have to, you know, it's probably a mix of everything. Do you think that story was just kind of created to create something with sort of a rah 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 happy ending moment? You know, they're both standing there on the bridge of the vengeful spirit. They feel the, you know, the hair on the back of their neck stand up as you were, and then they embrace. Do you think that was story was just made up to made up because they needed to tell everybody something? No, we. Um, I believe a lot of these stories are kind of extracted from the legion not necessarily voluntarily and no one really represents this right because uh, right. uh, and of course in 40k where we look at a lot of this stuff from the perspective of all of the records of the of the f legion don't exist sure. and i believe the inquisition has marked them extinct three separate times right <laughs> which is not which is not a uh, not common for the inquisition to make a mistake like that twice let alone three times yeah um the third, the second origin story we have is that Alpharius's pod, when the Chaos Gods scattered all the Primarchs to the farthest reaches of the galaxy, um, Alpharius's pod landed on a, a, you know, a world that was already dead by the time humanity was young. And yes, but it, it, but was, it, it was once civilized, but long since destroyed. Yeah, yeah and of a highly te- technical advance, and they had basically killed themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alpharius but he found, was, a, he found himself there all alone. Yep. Pirates, various Xenos, human, different, you know, mutant pirates aboard a spaceship came to loot the ruins of this dead world. And Alpharius slaughtered them all and boarded the ship and, of course, you know, ate them so they could Highlander-style gain all of their knowledge and and, <laughs> and things and, and learned how to fly their ship and, and left to you know, go find his creators. Left to go figure out who he was. Again, all of that is a lie. <laughs> the The third story is, is again, very similar to the first in that Alpharius is on a dead world and, or, or, or he finds his way to like the survivors of, of a horrible thing, or he's with a group of people that get taken prisoner by an alien called the Slaw. I think Slaw. Uh. Um, and they are, you know, like a worm-like creature, and they take him hostage and basically torment him and torture him, and because they, he was one of the few beings powerful enough to withstand them, and um, you know, the emperor somehow becomes aware that one of his lost sons is on here and crashes a ship into the slaw ship. And goes on a rampage and kills all the slaw and frees Alpharius. I had read somewhere. This might not be canon, and this speaks to the 
level of mystery surrounding their origin story, but I had read somewhere, I think, that Alpharius was found inside a space hulk. I think that might have been the same one with the slaw, I believe. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing here is mystery and intrigue and subterfuge and fighting an enemy who doesn't realize that it's being fought. Yes, definitely. And we know kind of that that all three of these stories aren't true because it, of course, doesn't mention the biggest secret of the Alpha Legion and possibly the most confusing. They have two Primarchs. They are the twin Primarchs, the XX. Yes, so they are Alpharius and his identical twin Omegon. The Alpha and the Omega, yeah. So it, so that, so it comes to light that they are twins in the Black Library Horus Heresy book Legion, um, which also speaks to their kind of role in the Horus Heresy. So why don't, why don't we pick it up there at the Horus Heresy and what happened? I mean, how did this mysterious Legion uh, become servants of the Chaos Gods? Yeah, so while on a campaign on a, um, a foreign world, uh, the, the Alpha Legion basically attached itself, maybe not known to the, to the expeditionary fleet, but attached itself and got involved in their conflict. And it just so happened that their, their conflict was against a culture of people that were in some way connected to chaos. They were chaos worshippers or chaos settlers landed on this planet something had given them kind of you know made them allies of chaos and they had magics and sorceries and dark powers so the alpha legion had been fighting in secret against them unbeknownst to the expeditionary fleet that they were attached to that <laughs> that they were here um eventually they um an agent is sent from a, a group that we know about as much about them as we do the Alpha Legion, the Cabal, which is a group of aliens dedicated to basically preserving the galaxy and makes, you know, they basically are trying to keep the lights on. Right. They're trying to preserve life in whatever form they possibly can from the impending darkness that would be chaos reigning and destroying everything in the galaxy. While they are out on campaign, the Alpha Legion, um, it, kind of happens simultaneously where the cabal's agent that gets sent to contact them finds them and then they also find the agent so the agent is essentially there to try and get a meeting between the cabal and the alpha legion yes um which you know the imperium is and was and always has been xenophobic so their greatest warriors would not be very keen on on conversing with the enemy it, it was strange that they had sought out you know you know the most loyal and those that hated them the most but they ended up contacting each other and the alpha legion eventually go to a designated planet and and meet the cabal right and right. what is revealed to the to to both primarchs alpharius and his his twin brother Omegon, is a vision of two futures. They share commonality in that they both see Horus turning traitor and causing the Horus heresy. Right. 
But it branches at that point. One is a victory for the Emperor, and the other is a victory for Horus. But the victory for the Emperor isn't what it appears to be. No, it it states that should the Emperor win um, and defeat Horus, that the the Imperium will last for another 10,000 years, but it will slowly decay as chaos eventually, you know, just bit by bit takes chunks off of the Imperium until we have kind of what we do in 8th edition 40k, where, you know, half our galaxy is now direct portal to the warp. It'll be all chaos all the time if the Emperor wins 10,000 years later, is what one of the visions says. And the other vision shows a future in which Horus wins, and of course humanity is obliterated by it, um, as it has torn itself apart from the Horus heresy, and Horus eventually comes to realize what he has done, and, and, and in his guilt and in his regret, he he has become so powerful at that point that he strikes down the chaos gods and drives back chaos and, and the warp is calm and, and he, he sacrifices himself and the warp is calm. What that really means and why the cabal is so interested in it is they won't be wiped out. The Eldar will be spared. The orcs will be spared. All of the various other races will be spared because this is, initially you know the human race will tear itself apart in his regret uh horus will drive back the darkness and then the rest of the races of the galaxy will be fine so in order for life in the galaxy to flourish in general humanity has to sort of fall on that sword and they're asking alpharius to help them turn the tide of the heresy towards that end yes and the fact that Alpharius was a little more privy to some things, or at least had his own interpretation of his father's vision, saw that if given the choice, the Emperor would have, chose, have chosen the one that defeats Chaos, because Chaos is his true enemy. Yes. Now, you know, I mentioned that it would be very unlikely that any Primarch would, would parlay with Xenos, but... The fact that the Cabal approached them is because the Alpha Legion was very was well known for their pragmatism. You know, they yes. did everything very pragmatically, and and you see that in Legion when they discuss philosophy and state that the Imperium is impossible, which is at that time period essentially treason in and of itself to say that the Emperor is wrong, sure. um, based on you know the whole concept of utopia and how that would never work. Right. So they, they are very practical and, and, you know, the Cabal approached them because they knew that the most logical choice and what the Alpha Legion would have to go with is the one that both the Emperor and, you know, all the other races in the galaxy would want. What we'll see later is I think there's kind of a division between Alpharius and Omegon on how they think about this and the Emperor's vision. Um, Omegon definitely seems to be more interested in protecting humanity and keeping humanity alive while Alpharius is very much driving back chaos following the Cabal's belief, or at least his interpretation of it. So at that point in Legion and in the progression of the heresy, it's not that it's not that the Alpha Legion pick a chaos god and go full bore 
towards the towards the forces of chaos, but they start maneuvering things and manipulating things so that Horus will win. Yes, um, you know they they had this information. I believe it was a year to three years before the Horus Heresy. It, it was about the same time that Horus had fallen on Davin, because they referenced that. They knew this was coming, so being that they are stealthy, they're based on infiltration, assassination, impersonation, fraud, con artistry, whatever, all, all of any kind of scam or trickery they are all about, they started to prepare. Yes. Which to them was burying people in cryo chambers on earth before anyone knew that they would ever not be loyal um you know planting infiltrators in all of the other legions any variety of things spies in all the important places so they were not there at istvan three but they were there at five they they were there at five and just some just a minor point that struck me i think it was in betrayer the heresy novel i just finished recently there was a moment where somebody in there had killed a member of the Alpha Legion after it was clear that they had turned traitor and their dying words were for the Emperor. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll kind of cover that. So they had three different battle cries. Uh, Hydra Dominatus, which essentially means, you know, Hail Hydra. That That's their, their Hail Hydra. I am Alpharius, and that is because if anyone asks a question or a name of an Alpha Legionary, they would give it I am Alpharius, and and they were known for switching out roles. Yes, um, and and many there were many different copies of Alpharius throughout the Legion. These were his sons that that looked close enough to him after getting the gene seed that a little surgery or a little cloning would make them look identical to Alpharius, so they could act as Alpharius and and vice versa. So they could swap out. Yes, so they would never be without a leader. Thus, the whole Hydra motif. You cut one head off, you kill one Alpharius, and another one will pop up. And if I remember correctly, Alpharius and Omegon are also the shorter, some of the shortest Primarchs. They are the two shortest. Yeah, so between the fact that they're shorter, more like the height of a typical space marine, and the fact that they are masters of disguise and have this almost psychic camouflage Jedi mind trick that they can throw on people to make them appear the same size as many other different things. That they can pass for a space marine, they can pass for other things, and their other, you know, their legion can pass for them. Yes, it never explicitly states like that if they whether or not they were a particularly large psychic legion. We knew the White Scars, the Blood Angels. Uh, Magnus and the Thousand Sons, uh, to a lesser extent, the Wolf Priests. Um, I'll get in trouble for saying that, but the Wolf Priests, (laughs) they were never known to have psychers. They weren't at the Council of Nikea. They, they, you know, they didn't, they, and they didn't, you know, talk to or work with any of the other psychic legions. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I think they were in that, in that very real Jedi mind trick kind of a way in that they could maybe just shift someone's perception of what they looked like, what they were doing, where they were, as an aid to maybe even a physical disguise. But from everything that I've read, I think they did have this subtle kind of influence, this kind of, just a little bit of a trick of the shade kind of thing they could do. 
Yeah, and and that's kind of part of it. You don't know what is real and, and what isn't with the Alpha Legion. And one of the other known psychic powers that they can do is swap personalities and minds, almost like you're picking a soul up from body A and a soul up from body B. You're putting A and B and B and A. And that yeah. happens in one of the later books where some Alpha Legions swap places to avoid detection. It's, it's almost like a, like a bit of a hive mind thing and a bit of a telekinesis kind of a thing. And that's the part I find really interesting is that even though the Alpha Legion are, are so copy and paste of each other and, and they intentionally so, they work at it, um, to hear them converse with each other, there are distinct personalities as much as, you know, they're, they're like a room full of, of James Bonds. You know, they're they're talking in that very neutral way. But then to outsiders, they can all kind of, they all walk the same talk and talk the same talk. So they are all able to answer that I am Alfarious question. And to an outsider, you know, they do maybe all appear exactly the same, thereby aiding in their ability to infiltrate. Yeah. And I, I all of the Legionaries were not necessarily completely identical. There are references to humans looking at Alpha Legionaries with their helmets off, and they state that they can tell some small differences. Right, right. They're very close, but they're not exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. And and the big thing with the Alpha Legion, besides their their psychic technology, was also that they did just, or at least now, they do have cloning technology. They've always had the most advanced technology, so cloning, plastic surgery, weapons, technology. They would always show up with whatever suit of armor helped them blend in the most, whether that be, you know, Raven Guard in their Mark VI with the Beak Helms or Mark III Iron Warriors. They always had suits of armor that would fit. Yeah, they were not afraid to not show their Legion heraldry, right? They would be whoever they needed to be to get the job done. And and not all the Space Marine Legions were the same, you know. Sure. We had the Blood Angels with their flaw and, you know, the the Salamanders and the the Space Wolves and whatever was going on with Lorgar, who who even knows. Um we don't know what the Alpha Legion what their gene seed was, you know, could they spit acid, could they do this, could they do that? We we don't we don't know. And we the other thing we don't know that we know about every other legion is we don't know where they recruit from. We don't know where their home world is. We don't know if there were Terrans. We don't know if they came from where Alpharius was from or somewhere else. If they recruit from, you know, they just pick people up. Nothing is known about them either. Everything is shrouded in that mystery. Yeah. yeah. It's believed that they did have a flaw but that's not known or to what extent or what was done about it. Yeah. But it is, I believe, confirmed that they did have a genetic flaw. But then again, it's also referenced elsewhere that they had some of the strongest gene seed. They were also one of the big three. Have you ever heard of the the big three legions? Yes, the Trifoil, yeah. There were three legions kind of grouped, uh, viewed as a group, right? There were the, uh, the Salamanders, the Space Wolves, and the Alpha Legion. And they were likely grouped for a very, uh, for a reason, right? For a purpose. Uh, the salamanders could survive in incredibly intense environments, and they were basically like 
we need someone to go walk on this sun. Send the salamanders. Right, right. Space wolves were very obviously done to police other legions, and and that was their purpose. And the Alpha Legions, we don't know. We can assume it has something to do with stealth, infiltration, um, possibly like a secret police force that would, you know, the, the, the big brother of the Imperium once it was all united under humanity. Yeah, and, and think about the narrative possibilities here going forward in that there's probably Alpha Legion space marines in every other chapter right now. We we don't know is is the thing because they are one of the only legions that did not flee to the they are the only legion that did not flee to the Eye of Terror that had turned traitor. Let's mention first that they did not participate in the assault on Terra. Well, they did. They did a few months before Terra. They assaulted the Soul System, and and that kind of happened because Horus said. You know, you're supposed to be on our side. It's time you do something. Because they were just out, you know, doing whatever they wanted. But they did not put boots on the ground on Terra, correct? I'm sure they were there in some capacity, but officially, no. No one really knows where they went after the battle for Pluto. Right, right. That's where um, uh, Dorn kills uh, Alpharius. Um, yes, and unfortunately, unlike most things, that seems pretty set in stone. Um Although they always leave a backdoor for Alpharius. Um, sure. It's almost confirmed by Omega on spoiler alerts. We should put those in the title. Mm-hmm. Because that book's fairly recent. But, yes, um, Alpharius and Dorne meet, and Alpharius loses. But with the Alpha Legion, who knows what his intent being there had been. But we're relatively certain that it was Alpharius, that he was there spearheading an assault into the Sol system. To prove their kind of uh, prove their street cred to the rest of the traitor legions, and uh, and Dorn uh, took care of it. Yeah, as far as we know, Dorn, you know, won, and and the traitors were driven off, and you know, the Alpha Legion kind of leaves a piece of itself wherever it goes. I have a feeling, so I, I'm sure there were a couple. Um, slightly taller imperial fists after that battle. Yeah. <laughs> or slightly shorter, I suppose. Sure. Or maybe Dorn is now Alpharius. Dorn sh- suddenly started shaving his head after that. He's got a very different sense of style after that battle. Yeah. So it was... And, and Dorn, to, to Alpharius's credit, almost bit it, but one of his house... Uh, the leader of his personal guard jumped in front of Alpharius's blade and took the hit for Dorn, so oh. very undorn like, but to to let that that happen that way, but So after the uh after the Horus was, you know, Horus did not do well on Terra, we'll say that. Um after that, the like you said earlier, the Alpha Legion did not retreat to the Eye of Terra. Instead they moved east and just kind of did whatever they wanted to for a while, and one of those was to try to hunt down some ultramarines. Yeah, um they were out there basically tormenting Ultramar. Um, they ended up facing Guillemin, and we don't really know. Um, it's believed that, uh, you know, the Alpha Legion was there, and Guillemin decided to attack the Alpha Legion and surprise them, which was, you know, the Ultramarines were master tacticians, but they were idealists. The 
Alpha Legion were master tacticians, but they were realists. So the Alpha Legion underestimated the Ultramarines and didn't expect Dorne to suddenly teleport with all of his bodyguard into the middle of the camp to do one-on-one battle with Alpharius. Gilman kind of flipped the script yeah. on there. You know, they battled and Alpharius is believed to be slayed and thrown on a pyre and... But we don't know, and there are two reasons we don't know for sure what happened there, or three reasons. The first is there, there have always been multiple Alpharius's, and it's kind of been a guessing game as to who's the real one. The second reason is that the Ultramarines don't talk about it. They don't. They haven't con- said, "Oh, we confirmed this kill." And the third is that the Alpha Legion did not retreat. They just, you know cut one head off and two more will appear, they attacked the Ultramarines to the point where, where Giamon and the Ultramarines had to retreat and were almost destroyed. I think likening them to a snake that can regrow a tail is a good way to view it because they just keep kind of dividing into these smaller and smaller and maybe even more effective because they're smaller war bands as they kind of go through well, Ultramar. They, they were known to use single... Alpha Legionaries, maybe not even in power armor, to infiltrate societies and and do scouting and things, which is is abnormal because they were the legions for a reason. So much of a contrast there between how the Ultramarines, you know, would be standing tall and blue and ready to take on any foe with some great strategy, or Dorn in the, the yellow, right, wants folks to know that they're fighting the Imperial Fists, but the Alpha Legion doesn't want any part of either of those ways of doing battle and getting their job done. Yeah, they were originally um, Indigo, so closer to the Night Lords, which, of course, you know, the Night, the Dark, the all, all of the scary stuff. Yeah. Their common Legionnaire colors were kind of a brighter blue, though, toward, towards the end, like a turquoise, a very light color. And this kind of goes with the dual personality of the Alpha Legion, because while they're sneaky and they're clever and and they're the chess master that's always one step ahead of you they will and are known to have made things more difficult to themselves now Giamon and Alpharius were mortal enemies they did not like each other because they saw the world you know one realist one idealist yes but also in campaigns they had come at odds because instead of helping Giamon launch a by the book attack Alpharius had left, and then they had just fought guerrilla warfare and assassination and planting rumors, bribery, theft, all of the, you know, crimes needed to, and, and just prolonged this campaign. But then, you know, when their plan, their master plan was all together, they basically flipped the switch and the, the whole thing fell apart in one glorious collapse. And when asked why the Legion had not taken a simpler strategy... Alpharius said it would have been too easy. Correct. And and they were known to do that. And it got, supposedly, it got much worse after, uh, just shortly before the, the Horus Heresy started. They were known to just do very brutal, almost sadistic toying with the enemy, like a cat playing with a mouse. Likening them to master chess players is good, in that it's that puzzle of chess, I think, that attracts players at a high level to it, right? The more complicated things get, kind of the more interesting the solutions become, and therefore the bigger the rush when you win, you know? So I think him saying it would have been too easy speaks to that need 
the whole legion needs things to be tough for them to feel like they're doing their work. Yeah, definitely. And and I guess to just kind of put an end cap on um, their involvement in the Horus Heresy towards the end days, after the Guillemin and Alpharius fought and Alpharius was allegedly killed, they split up into smaller war bands, and, and I, I believe some would go on to kind of you know, to what agenda and, and how are they following it? And are they just scattered war bands? Are some loyal? Are some not? Not a lot is known. There is an example of a Alpha Legion psyker that joins the Black Legion in the Dawn of War series. And they are, he is aligned to Chaos Undivided. Most of the Alpha Legion aren't. They don't like Chaos. They would probably use Chaos artifacts, Chaos blades. Um, similar to what you see with like the Grey Knights, the Exorcists, the Inquisi- Radical Inquisitors, they they u- they would use chaos against chaos by any means necessary. Yes, um, whereas you have things like the Night Lords who hate chaos. There were very few legions that didn't have a problem with, with the Alpha Legion. I know the Iron Hands got along okay with. Yeah, um, we don't know. A lot about that connection, but we can imagine it's probably because the Alpha Legion always had, you know, very advanced technology and they were, you know, they were another, they, they had components that were very tank and, and armor driven and vehicle driven. Yeah. So they, you could see where there was camaraderie between, or at least mutual understanding between Ferris Manus and Alpharius for kind of how their legions were. The other one is the Dark Angels, which I think is an even more interesting potential friendship there yeah and i i it's it's it makes a lot of sense because the dark angels are you know they've always been secretive and you know very good at interrogation and misdirection and things in their own right so um it's believed that one of the few places alpharius could ever be confirmed as being is on caliban the home world of the dark angels and the other thing to note is that both Lionel Johnson, the Primarch of the Dark Angels, and Ferris Manus were both very good tacticians in their own own right. So there's another spot where you could see an an appreciation for the combined arms tactics that weren't used by every legion. You know, you had the world leaders that would just charge forward with chain axes. Yeah, yeah. They might have been close to Horus at some point, though we don't know the circumstances behind that, whether it was Horus had found him or they got, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer type deal. We we don't know. So the legions that definitely hated them, Night Lords, uh, he wasn't a big fan, didn't didn't trust them. I see here you put in the notes. Yeah, um, it's strange because, cause, you know, the Night Hunter said something to the effect that they, you know, they hide their sins, or they don't wear their sins in the open. The uh, Imperial Fists, obviously, you know, Dorne has a chip on his shoulder about the whole deal. The Thousand Sons, I think, are interesting that they didn't like their style of battle. Yeah, they didn't They didn't really like their style of battle. Um, they, they didn't, and, and that's what, you know, because they, they eventually devolved to these cat-and-mouse games with their enemies, a lot of legions had contempt for them. Um, I think the Thousand Sons, you know, they were information seekers. They they were, you know, that was what undid them in the end is their lust for forbidden knowledge and, and knowledge that is secreted away from them. Hmm. Um, and that is in direct contrast to the secretive nature of the Alpha Legion. So it makes sense that truth seekers 
would not like a legion of lies. How do you think Horace felt about them during the uh, the heresy? He did question their allegiance several times. Yeah, I'm, I mean, towards the start of the Horace heresy, I would say that Horace might have considered him, uh, Alpharius, the, the most loyal Primarch to him. Um, I mean, Alpharius is alleged, it's believed that he planned Istvan five and Istvan three, and and basically gave that plan to Horus. But towards the end, when they had done things like at the Battle of Paramar, Horus said, "Go take Paramar." They went and took Paramar, and then they left. And Horus's agents, you know, contacted him, and he woke up one day and, and read, you know, the reports, and it was like. We have this planet that the Alpha Legion just took, and they left, and we have no defenses. And it was a critical junction between Horus's base on Istvan V and Terra. Had they not taken it, the Imperial Fists and the armies of Terra would have simply jumped to Istvan V and, and ended it there. So again, like these, these multi-layered plans that you don't know when they were kind of seeded, you don't know when they were put into motion, and you don't know really what the final outcome. You don't know whether that whether they are winning or losing at any given point, really, because these plans are so multi-layered and intensely complicated. Yeah, to the point where, you know, I, most of the Legionaries didn't even know their full orders, typical, you know, this guy knows the first half of the sentence, this other guy knows the second half of the sentence, they have to meet and put together what they're supposed to do. So the Harrowing is kind of like their Blitzkrieg, right? It's their kind of way of assaulting something, if they were to just downright assault something. Yes, when they finally did attack, because they had no problem revealing their hand, but they would make sure that, you know, that hand was stacked and loaded, and then they would strike from all sides. You would, you know, it would be quiet one minute, and then there would be thousands of Alpha Legionaries, and, you know, their size is unknown, so there would just be turquoise armor, everywhere you know there'd be vehicles there'd be people coming out of the ground there'd be people dropping in pods there'd be aircraft there'd be you know your allies would turn on you and scream hydra dominatus and shoot you in the back but you wouldn't know what was happening until that last possible moment right they all waited for you know kind of the dime to drop they you know went out of their way to make that as suddenly damaging as possible there was a, a rule they had in 30K, right, where they could actually take another Legion's unit yes. as one of their own? Yep. And that kind of, you know, they were known for their infiltration. They would just be in other Legions. We have examples of, you know, the most famous is where in, I believe it's Deliverance Lost, where they, you know, Istvan Five, the Alpha Legion suddenly let a... Uh, Raven Guard transport go by. It seemed like a fluke. Later, it turned out that some of the Raven Guard Marines aboard that craft that escaped were Alpha Legion. They infiltrated the Raven Guard and stole um, some of the gene seed that Korax had been given by given by the Emperor to help rebuild the Raven Guard, and then they tainted the other ones. So Korax ended up making monsters. Yeah, their their power armor closet has got a lot of colors in it oh without a doubt um and even though i believe all the every alpha legionary that was there died their their mission was accomplished um they had done it originally for the cabal and after this moment um you see alpharius basically it was both on the orders of the cabal and horus because they were ordered to the alpha legion were ordered to give the samples they stole 
to Fabius Bile to help the Emperor's children and Horus, but they betrayed the Cabal and Horus and gave a, a damaged sample and kept the real one for themselves and then, you know, made Primaris Marines, but we'll talk about that later. Let's fast forward to the uh, the 40th and 41st millennium. Yeah, not much is known. Um, they're believed to be operating now, but they haven't really had any major thing in the fluff. Uh, I believe they were at Vrax. They they usually show up in some small number. Yeah. Um, a war band, maybe 15, 20 people show up and, and you know, do something weird and clandestine and leave. And they still have yet to kind of be identified with one particular chaos god, right? No, they they are not as... It depends. Probably the bulk would not worship chaos, since they were both... Even though there was a division between Alpharius and Omegon, they both were against chaos in their own way. Omegon wanted to protect humanity. Alpharius wanted to protect you know, wanted to defeat chaos. TJ, do you think there's any chance that the Alpha Legion are still loyal to the Emperor and loyal to the Imperium? I, I think we can say that they are definitely traitor in their own way because they the Alpha Legion is loyal only to the Alpha Legion. They might be good guys, too, but at this point, I think it's safe to say that, that the only reason they would stay loyal to the Imperium is out of convenience, and if the Imperium winning helps their goal. Maybe there's enough moral ambiguity there to say that their loyalties their loyalties lie within. And, you know, the fact that they were created by the Emperor, I think they're probably also loyal to the purpose that they were created for, and they haven't really gone that straight from that at all. So there's not much known in 40K outside of, you know, some warbands will show up. They haven't had, you know, they haven't attacked... Ultramar, like all of the various failed demon legions, they haven't attacked Terra, and they are not in the Eye of Terra. And we don't believe that they might show up with the Black Legion and on one of the Crusades from time to time, but I don't think they ever necessarily are helpful. TJ, taking it to the tabletop and playing the game, did they ever receive any love in any supplements from 7th edition? Yeah, they were given uh, Chosen, and I believe regular troops were given Infiltrate. Definitely Chosen were, which would have been very powerful, and I'm, I'm hoping it kind of happens again. Um, we'll we'll see. And that was Traitor Legions or Traitor's Hate? That was Traitor Legions. Traitor Legions. They had a rule where if your Warlord was slain, you would nominate another character, and that would become your Warlord and could get his own Warlord trait. And you to, you wouldn't get Slay the Warlord until your opponent had killed every single character, not just independent character. They also got chosen as troops. It would be fun to start a game with an army as one thing, and then Alpha Legion it, and all of a sudden it's a very different force. Yeah. In 30k, they would pick a different um, special rule. It was Infiltrate, Adamantium Will, Counterattack, I believe it was um, Scout. Uh, Tank Hunter. Tank Hunter was the other one. So Tank Hunter and, and the Stealth one were probably, or the Infiltrate were probably the ones you would go with. TJ, tell us about your Alpha Legion army and why you put it together the way that you did. So I, I'm really, with the with not knowing what 8th's going to bring, I'm really just putting together, like, here are two troop squads, uh, two 10-man tacticals, here are 
a handful of characters in Artificer and Terminator armor. Um, here is a Devastator or Havoc squad. Here is the jump packs. Here are the veterans. Here are the tanks and the rhinos. And, and that way I can kind of, once 8th comes out more, I can kind of pick and choose things. So you're building it as a very straightforward Space Marine army, hoping for some kind of extra stuff to come along and some supplements. Yeah, yeah. And we, we can see kind of where they land. I'm really holding off on doing anything specific or in bulk. Um, if I play them, and depending on how fluffy their Legion rules are when uh, the Chaos gets a book, I if I if the, I was playing them as Chaos Space Marines, I would definitely be getting Helldrakes. I would not run them as Helldrakes because I don't think it's fluffy for the Alpha Legion to use Demon Engines. They would, but not necessarily be their first option because flyers are very important in this edition you know they were masters of combined arms just like the ultramarines they had crazy technology and and psychic powers and what a lot of people don't realize because they are stealthy and they are sneaky and and they you know depend on tricks and misdirection is that they were one of the largest um tank legions and they had a huge armored column and they were masters of that kind of warfare which seems to run against their typically stealthier ways but uh, uh, there's a time and a place for that too yeah and it does kind of fit with this suddenly strike all at once um paramar i believe they used a lot of tanks you you think of you think of tanks you think probably you know maybe ultramarines definitely iron hands iron warriors maybe imperial fists uh blood angels because they had all their fancy tanks but Actually, two of the most dominant tank legions were the World Eaters and the Alpha Legion. I think a lot of the attention the Alpha Legion receives is because of the book Legion, which is pretty polarizing. Some people love it, some people hate it. I, for one, really enjoyed the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm curious to see what happens when we get the Primarch series on Alpharius, because they're doing the series about all the Primarchs now. Yeah, how do you talk about someone who's so... Or how do you talk about two people that are so mysterious... It'll be interesting to see how it's handled. Um, it will be interesting. Do they, you know, because um, a couple of books now, we've thought it's been about either Alpharius or it's been about Omegon, and no, it wasn't. So it, it'll be a good surprise to see what happens. And I'm looking forward to what they're doing in 40K with the new book coming out. A recent release, yeah, Shroud of Night, which features the Alpha Legion. I, I wonder if that's the start of a new omnibus because to my knowledge they're the only chaos legion that doesn't have well i don't think that i don't think the four demon primarchs have omnibuses but definitely night lords iron warriors and word bearers have an omnibus about them it's funny on the black library website it describes the book as hot chaos on chaos action featuring world eaters and the alpha legion and Karn is in there, too. Cool. Yeah, Kar Karn. It's it's going to be Alpha Legionaries running from Karn. Or is Karn Alpharius? TJ, thanks for stopping in. Always a pleasure having you on the show. I hope you've just enjoyed episode seven. We'll close out the episode with some final thoughts. Lavelle, what'd you like to say? I just want to say eighth edition 
has been a game changer, not just for 40K, but for the hobby. You know, in any given night now at our, our local store, Red Caps, you, you'll find a lot of people playing. Yeah. A lot of older players who have left the game are coming back, and a lot of new players are getting introduced. It's easier to teach. It's easier to onboard. I think I have a game tomorrow, and I'm taking two 1,500-point armies to teach somebody who wants to experience Necrons. So I'm going to give them my Necron army and play my, my um, Krieg army Krieg, to get yeah. a little play in. But it's, it's been really, really invigorating. One, there's a lot of things going on in, in the world today. A lot of things that are breaking people up. There's a lot of, but, you know, gaming is one place where there's, you'll, you'll find more acceptance. And it's just a great environment. And I encourage people to do whatever you can to bring more people into this experience. Well said. Yeah, it's excellent. Carlo. Um, I mean, I think to wrap it up, I just I have to agree with Laval. It's, you know, I think it's been a really good year for the hobby. Um, and like calling back on some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, like models that weren't useful before, like pretty much everything is viable now. Yeah. And it really brings life back to these toys you've been hiding in a closet for a couple of years. You know what I mean? Everything mm-hmm. you know has its personality back in. It's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great that all models can play an important role now. And I think that's what's bringing folks back into the game that had armies that might not have been so powerful in 7th. All of a sudden, they're a little bit more fun to play in 8th, which is really nice. And it, it creates a lot more variety within your own army because you can build everything that GW or Forge World offers, and you can just kind of slot it in and see how it does, slot it in and see how it does, and it's a little more fun to do that now than it was in 7th edition. Let me ask a question to you two guys. Is it just my perception, or are games quicker? I think, um, I don't know if they're quicker time-wise, but I feel like they're less less taxing on my brain a little bit because you have, like, so before we had a, a very thick rule book, which was used. All mm-hmm. those pages had rules on them. Yeah. And you spent a lot of time flipping in between the pages just looking for rules, right? And I feel like now it's pretty easy to remember, like, what your army does, and there's not a lot of like kind of disagreement on how the rules should be played and you get more time actually gaming and less time trying to figure out what's going on. It's true. Yeah. yeah. It's been my experience that games aren't faster, but they feel faster. They feel Because faster. I feel like, especially with the alternating assaults, uh, with alternating uh, fight phase, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the, I feel like you're responding more to what your opponent is doing and you're more engaged even in your opponent's turn. So I think that's making it feel faster. And the fact that the psychic phase, I think, is shorter. So if you're not playing a psycho army, it's not like you're standing there just watching your opponent roll dice for 10 minutes before right. it comes back to, before the game moves on, right? So I think the games feel faster and they feel lighter. I think they are easy to kind of get your mind around because there is less stuff to kind of keep in your head. But, I, but it hasn't been my experience that they're necessarily quicker from a time perspective. Yeah. You, you know, you? in terms of, the, if they seem faster to me, but okay. I can't really, I, okay. you know, I don't know why, but it might be what, what Carl was pointing about the rules. I find that my brain is more engaged and the tactical decisions right. rather than right. understanding how this or that really works. And sure. that's, that makes it a lot fun. Yeah. It's, it's more yeah. fun to be thinking about, okay, i got to get these guys over here, and then they'll go here, and, okay, that's what I'm going to try to do. Hope the dice go my way. And then you spend more time, like, deciding on how you're going to use these command points, too, and stuff right. like that. So it's like... Yeah, gives you room for those extra layers. Yeah, right. gives and you room for those extra layers. That's one thing I wanted to mention before is that I think one thing that I love about the command points is that they, they can 
really kind of help keep your attitude up during the game. Where, like, you know, there are a lot of times where you get, like, consecutive poor dice rolls, and you're just like, ugh. But, like, I think the command points can really change that around. You know, maybe you roll your 2d6 shots, you get a 1 and a 2, you can re-roll that 1 and get, like, a 3 and a 2, and 5 is better than 3. You know what I mean? And it kind of brings that... I think it helps keep the game more positive. And that's what the my favorite thing about that mechanic is. Okay. That's a great point. Yeah, it's a really great point. It's almost like you have a lucky charm you can pull out every now and again and see if you can change the direction of the dice roll. Exactly. <laughs> that's good, yeah, cool. But I always like it when you roll the one and you say, I'm going to use the command point and roll the one, roll again. The one again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then it's just pouring salt on the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> cool. For the Crew Shaken podcast, I've been Tim. I've been Carlo. I've been Lavelle. Thanks for listening.